the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, September 22nd, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 276. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree. It'll take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's going on, everybody? And happy Friday. We've got a really big edition of the show today. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. We've got an incredible slate of guests. Two America First House representatives will be joining us for the first time. Representative Bob Good. And Representative Alex Moody will be here. We'll also sit down with one of our favorite retired Air Force colonels. Rob Manis will be here as well. And we'll sit down with the former director of OMB who served during the Trump administration. Russ Vaught will be here as well. Lots of breaking news. Merrick Garland was roasted by the Judiciary Committee this week. We'll bring you the highlights. We'll tell a tale of two borders. One in Ukraine and then one in the United States. And how much America last policy is being initiated down there by Joe Biden and his corrupt regime. And Donald Trump did two huge events in Iowa. We'll check them both out. But before we get into any of the headlines, let's take it up to Capitol Hill and the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody, welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast, big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Ron Noah's here as well. Yo. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, well, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And getting things started today, we're going to take it up to Capitol Hill, and we're joined for the first time by the congressman who's proudly representing the 5th Congressional District of Virginia, sitting down for the first time with Congressman Bob Good. Thanks for joining us on the show today and getting things started. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, I think our listenership would be uh, most interested on the absolute latest with the budget debate up on Capitol Hill. It looks like uh, we're heading towards either a continuing resolution or possible government shutdown. Congressman, you want to give us the latest from your vantage point? Yeah, I'm on the budget committee and I'm also on the Republican Study Committee's budget task force. I've been deep in the weeds on this all year and I have been in those negotiations with other members to try to find the best path forward and with the leadership team. I use that term a little bit loosely because we I I just would say from the onset, we are where we are because of a failure of leadership from the speaker. The speaker made certain commitments to become speaker uh, with my colleagues who were part of our 20 uh, resistors, shall we say. Uh, He made some commitments to the 14 who ended up ultimately voting for him to change how Congress would operate, uh, to change the rules of the House. We returned to regular order. And then there were some policy commitments like we would pass our appropriation bills on time. And we had unity in the House through April. We passed the Limit, Save, Grow bill. And all that was discarded, as you guys know, uh, with the inexcusable, unforgivable debt ceiling increase, uh, an unlimited increase through January 25, where we kind of discarded, cast to the curb all of the policy objectives that were voted for by the House, 217 to four Republicans uh, in April. And then we just sort of squandered the time. Uh, The speaker failed to lead. He failed to cast a vision. He failed to uh, tell those who supported him, you know, unconditionally back in January that he needed them to stay with him to pass a good, strong 
series of bills out of the House. You know, we all recognize we're in a very narrow majority in the House, which is even more narrow with uh, Leader Scalise being ill, one or two other members being ill. We just had a retirement with Chris Stewart out of Utah. So we're down to essentially a two or three vote majority at the moment. And that we don't have the Senate, we don't have the White House, and we know that what we pass out of the House is subject to negotiation and, and battle and uh, uh, you know conflict with the Senate and to see what's the best we can force out of the bicameral, bicameral two institutions or two uh, bodies, I should say. But we should pass the strongest possible bill in the House that reflects Republican priorities, reflect uh, Republican, conservative Republican policies and legislative objectives, and that cuts our spending with $33 trillion national debt and a projected $2.2 trillion deficit just this year. You know, we're, we're borrowing about $200 billion on a monthly basis. So that said, it's been a bruising, long battle, uh, but we do have a framework, an agreement to cut our spending by about $64 billion this year, which is significant because Congress never cut spending and hasn't cut spending in some 30 years, uh, but it's $64 billion. And we've got good, we haven't seen them all finalized, but we've got good policy changes to undo a lot of the harmful uh, uh, policies that have been put in place by Biden, Schumer, and Pelosi in the last Congress, and under which the American people are literally suffering, as we know, and the country is being destroyed. Things like reversing the climate extremism, transgenderism, uh, in terms of federal policies, uh, DEI and CRT and abortion funding and uh, LGBTQ extremist policies, those sorts of things uh, that have permeated all the policy of the last couple of years. So we've got good policy objectives, cutting some spending, cutting it, attacking some of the weaponization. Uh, and so that's where we, we have a framework to do that. Uh, there's a series of four bills that are going to be that we're going to vote on the rule, the rule of which has gotten more famous in just the last few months because you know it's been 20 years since the rule's been taken down. Now we've done it two or three times or three or four times this year. But a rule is the uh, uh, the conditions under which a bill is brought to the floor. Uh, well, we've agreed to uh, advance a rule for the first four bills as late as Tuesday, perhaps even as early as tomorrow, depending on when that can get done where we would vote on the bill separately. It's not a minibus. We're not combining them for voting, but the rule would just allow them to come to the floor together. We're going to have some 500 amendments, which is how Congress is supposed to work. It's hard. It's laborious. It's intense. And, you know, these bills, when you have an amendment that you like that doesn't pass, do you vote against the entire bill because you didn't get your amendment? Or if you like the bill and then there's an amendment passes that you don't like, do you vote against the bill or for the bill based? So, I mean, it's, but when you're one out of, you know, a, a majority of 221 in this case, uh, we're at 221 to 213 with everybody healthy in there, which is not the case. Uh, you realize you can't write the legislation yourself. You can't, you know, uh, you don't have 218 votes of your own. So it's going to be imperfect to you, likely. But that's what we're going to work through in the next just few days. It's being worked on now, particularly by appropriations and rules. And then we've got the commitments to bring the other bills to the floor to cut that $64 billion which is significant. It's not nearly enough, but it's significant. Uh, so that's where we are with the top line spending for the 12 appropriations bills. 
That's a quite a process you described to us right now, and you know we've seen a couple of congressmen and women who have stayed up on the hill uh, this week, you know, to to be working on that stuff behind the scenes. And listen, I heard you mention Speaker McCarthy and and you know what you considered failed leadership. We've kind of feel in the same way too, as far as some of the things he agreed to in the beginning of the session. What is it with him that you think he won't just get behind going through the actual process? providing the American public with some legitimate cuts and streamlining this process towards getting through, you know, a budget for the first time in several decades. That's not just an omnibus bill or a continuing resolution. Well, on the positive, and I want to acknowledge some positive Congress is operating on a much more healthy basis this year than it has in decades in the sense of what I just described. If we had not went through the battle in January where you had a historic 20 members who were willing to put their own careers on the line to vote against their presumptive speaker, some as many as 14 times, uh, in order to try to force change in how Congress operates. We are benefiting from that, at least in the process, where we, where we can slow things down, gum things up, bring things to a screeching halt. And what would have happened, I mentioned amendments, if we had not done that, you would have the bills all brought together with no amendments allowed, vote them up or down. You can't make any changes. You don't get to be heard. They don't even go through the respective committees of, of jurisdiction. We got two conservatives added to the Appropriations Committee this year, uh, Michael Cloud from Texas and Andrew Clyde from Georgia, yep. to join Ben Klein from Virginia and Andy Harris from, from uh, 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 Maryland. We got two new strong conservatives on rules, Chip Roy from Texas and Ralph Norman from South Carolina. So so the process is working better, even if it frustrates us with the ultimate outcome. Now, that said, to your specific question, the speaker committed that we would vote on term limits. We have not done that. The speaker committed we'd have these bills done by September 30. We all knew when September 30 was. It comes at the same time every year. We shouldn't be surprised or confused. And we did not do that. We were told we would impeach Mayorkas. We have not heard about that since he was voted to become speaker. There are other things that were, we were told we would vote on a balanced budget. And I'm on the budget committee. We worked really hard to bring a balanced budget to the floor to have four members to vote up or down on where do they stand on making the tough choices. We can't balance it this year, unfortunately, because there's such a massive amount of mandatory spending that we're not even talking about right now. But we got to show we're willing to make the tough choices on the discretionary side to earn the trust of the American people to, to deal with the mandatory side. So uh, I would just say that uh, the progress we have made recently was members coming together, honestly, uh, outside from the speaker. The members got together, the conservatives, the moderates got together and battled it out and debated it and came to a framework that we then brought to the speaker. And the speaker got on board with it. Um, so. You know, he needs, but the speaker ultimately has the bully pulpit. He's got the platform. Uh, he's got the voice of the conference, if you will. There's a number of members who will kind of follow his lead and do almost whatever he says. Um, and so if he had led recognizing the American people and the Republican base and the voters who gave us the majority did so to cut spending, to bring fiscal stability to the country, and to advance conservative policies to undo the harm of the policies that we're suffering under. And if he would have recognized that the Freedom Caucus and the conservatives are where the pulse of the majority of Republican voters are, he should have driven the moderates to come alongside him to support him in that. And I will point out, they all voted for the limit, save grow numbers. Yep. 
So what's the difference for voting for them again now and sending it to the Senate, which the reality is the negotiated package that comes back to the Senate is probably going to be a lot more like uh, a lot more uh, uh, attractive to the moderates than it is going to be to me. Uh, so they'll have a chance to vote for something that I'm going to vote against in all likelihood when it comes back from the Senate. Uh, and that's how legislation works, you know, in, in, in a divided house or a divided uh, Congress, I should say. Um, so but but yeah, the speaker needs to lead and he needs to demonstrate he's able to do that. And that's the concerns that many of us had back in January. No, he absolutely does. I want to stick in the kind of the same thread and, and keep it moving. Uh, Congressman, you know, you joined a, a delegation of, I believe, 40 other House representatives and senators who were no on sending never ending continuous funding to Ukraine uh, this week as well. I know the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, was up on Capitol Hill yesterday. He's in Canada today meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on kind of like the money collecting trip worldwide. Now, listen, we don't take the 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 stance here on our show that, you know, what's going on in, in the region is good or bad, whatever side wins. We would like the conflict to probably end just as much as you do. But blindly throwing all of our military equipment, our ammo, and then unlimited money over and over and over again into the region doesn't seem a very prudent way to, number one, get either side to the negotiation table, number two, to uh, at the end of the day, get the conflict ended. What went into your decision yesterday when, uh, you know, the, the, the polling went around for if, you know, Congress was going to be supporting this funding again? Obviously, a lot of people spoke uh, in, in the Senate and the House yesterday on it, but uh, I just wanted to get a little insight from you. I think you set that up appropriately there. We shouldn't be cavalier, flippant, or even to some degree, I would say dogmatic or absolutist in these foreign policy issues that are complicated. And you're trying to figure out a lot of decisions you make in Congress and the, how you vote is what do you think is most right? And I think there's merit to those who have said that, doggone, if we don't do everything to stop Russia now, uh, we further embolden China. We further embolden North Korea. And, uh, you know, that there's risk. And are we looking at the 1930s again? I don't hold to that as the prevailing most right view, I, I guess I would say. Uh, you know, I don't think we've got the Nazi war machine being built in, in Russia right now. I think that Russia is being weakened. It's being exposed. I think uh, uh, Putin will have a hard time ultimately surviving however this ends. Um, but uh, and we have great sympathy, as you noted, for the Ukrainian people and great admiration for how they have fought and battled and pushed back the Russians and sustained the effort. And I certainly hope they prevail. And I just reject anyone who says, hey, if you're not don't have blind, unconditional support for Ukraine, that means somehow you're supporting Putin or supporting Russia. I condemn the brutal attack. I want Ukraine to win. I pray that Ukraine will win. Uh, I'm, again, I, I'm just so impressed with, with the effort they put forward. Now, that said, Ukraine is a corrupt country. Ukraine is not a democracy. Ukraine suppresses what we consider to be uh, God-given uh, constitutionally protected freedoms in this country. And Ukraine is not a member of NATO. We don't have a pledged uh, support uh, commitment to them. Um, and I don't I have not yet seen what the justified national security threat to the United States is that warrants us borrowing, continuing to borrow and send, borrow again, because we don't have the money, we're bankrupt, massive amounts of money to send to Ukraine without a plan, without a strategy, without a definition of what is the limit of U.S. involvement, without a 
description of what victory looks like. These were these these countries will be neighbors for the next millennia. And, uh, you know, what is the limit to U.S. involvement? What's the accountability, transparency for what's been sent? We also have individuals pushing for this in the Biden administration who don't even know what the purpose of our own military is. They think it's to fight the climate war. And, you know, they think that the number one important thing in the military is to turn it into a social experiment and see how diverse they can make it for the sake of diversity, how many transgender people they can have, how many, you know, what kind of a CRT training they can have and diversity, equity, inclusion policies as they make our military convert to electric vehicles in the theater of war. I mean, you can't have any confidence in these individuals who bungled Afghanistan and who are literally destroying our military and weaken it even further with sending our resources over over to Ukraine. So. Uh, again, that's why I have not supported and uh, additional resources to go to Ukraine. No, that's that's the answer right there. We just like to hear it when our men and women who are fighting up in Congress actually admit it. I've heard about some military equipment that's not reliable, just as it is. Can you imagine making it electric? Oh, <laughs> It'd no, be even can, worse. I can imagine it. Yes, I, we're we're told that we can't win a, a war with China. We're told that we've got a tremendous amount of dysfunctional resources right now you know we're told we can't account for a hundred billion dollars of our own assets that we left you know what tens of billions of dollars assets behind in afghanistan uh and and you know we we haven't passed an audit in the military ever ever um and while i want a robust strong national defense that's the number one responsibility of federal government but i'll make a point going back to the spending we're going to spend twenty thousand dollars per citizen this year at about seven trillion dollars for 330 million americans about 20 your federal spending for per citizen not per taxpayer not per household twenty thousand dollars only about three thousand of that is for defense Mm. 15% 15% is attributed to the number one responsible the federal government, safety and security. So we'll borrow $6,000 per citizen and only 3,000 of that 20,000 is for national defense and national security. Very interesting to say the least. Now, you know, you let in with that uh, part on Ukraine and you mentioned corruption. I'm going to take it up to Capitol Hill and talk about a hearing that was conducted this week. U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland sat before the House Judiciary Committee and gave some of the vaguest, most non-answers I've ever heard as you know, some of the congressmen and women who frequent this show, like Troy Nels and Matt Gates, continued to hammer him on the two tiers of justice and, and, and the absolute way that, you know, America first and, and just regular citizens across the country, whether you're a pro-lifer, whether you're a concerned PTA parent, whether you, you know, thought there was some funny business in the 2020 presidential election, have been treated unfairly. And Merrick Garland had no answers, a lot of deflection, uh, a lot of snapbacks at the, at the House Republicans who challenged him. I'm pretty sure you kept an eye on that hearing, and I just want to know what you thought on it. Thank God that uh, he's not on the Supreme Court. Yes. And I don't have much good to say about Merrick, I mean, uh, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, but thank God he blocked <laughs> him from the Supreme Court for almost a year. Yes. And then he then he rammed through Amy Coney Barrett. So in that sort of two years of just courage that he showed to do that against the political pressure, because Merrick Garland is either the most incompetent, befuddled attorney general in the history of the country, or he is just so evil uh, and so malicious in what he's doing. And I suspect it's the latter. They're not even pretending anymore. And of all the terrible harm being done to the country by the Biden regime, the open border, the, the indoctrination of our kids, in the education system, the destruction of American energy, the force onto uh, this climate, environmental energy extremism, the reckless spending and all the rest. You could argue that the loss of faith and trust and the integrity of a once sacred institution, such as the Department of Injustice, federal law enforcement, our election systems, 
the, uh, the willingness of the federal government to collude with big tech to con- suppress freedom of information, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, those sorts of things. They're not even pretending anymore. They're going for broke because they know that their hold on power is hanging by a thread. And and they know if they can win another election, if they can rig another election, then there will be irreparable harm to the republic. And that's why it's so important for us to stand up and fight and be counted Everything we care about, everything we believe in, everything we hold dear is at risk, at existential threat. So we all got to get in a fight and and have courage to do what needs to be done to take back the country. Including our nation's sovereignty, which is the last thing I want to touch with you on, Congressman. You know, the, the argument this week up on Capitol Hill was, was how much money was going to go to Ukraine in the next fiscal year. You guys are obviously, and you've outlined it so great for our listenership, just exactly what the process is going to look like over the course of the next week or so as we round out the end of the fiscal year for the federal government and make sure that we can keep the lights on. At the end of the day, I think one of the biggest disasters the Biden regime has, you know, at fault for is what's going on on the U.S. southern border right now. It's been going on for the last nearly three years, but just over the course of the last couple of weeks, it's ramped up to greater numbers than we have ever seen before. Is Congress ready to take this issue head on heading into the next fiscal year if we can get something passed and keep this government going? Sufficiently, I fear not. We are trying. We're trying to force strong border policy into this appropriations bills. We're trying to force uh, HR2, our border security bill, if we do, did do a temporary spending bill during the time that we're passing our bills. Uh, and, and again, I would suggest that never in the history of the country has our own president done more to intentionally harm the United States, to intentionally harm the United States than what the president's done with the border. Uh, some 1.5 million gotaways on top of the five to six million that we've allowed in the country for all the free stuff, free social services, free welfare, free health care, free education, free travel, free housing. We're taking them in with open arms and releasing them in the interior of the country, wherever they want to go at taxpayer expense with no court date to appear. That's the ones who come in and surrender. The 1.5 million during these last uh, two and a half years now who have evaded apprehension who wear the carpet shoes and the camos head to toe because what they're trafficking in the country, they got criminal ties, terrorist ties, and so forth. Irreparable harm has been done that we will only know the extent of which when the border is eventually secured, hopefully January of 25, when the border is secured again, and their accomplices are no longer being allowed in the country, then we will see the harm being done. Because if t- only 10% of the 1.5 criminal gotaways if only 10% are bad actors, the other 90% are just confused. You got 150,000 very dangerous people in the yeah. country. If only 1% of that 1.5 million gotaways are bad actors, we got 15,000. It took 19 individuals to perpetrate 9/11. It's you you cannot overstate the harm that's being done. The president should be impeached because of the border. Uh Mayorkas should have long ago been impeached because of the border. I don't even believe that more law is the solution or more resources is the solution. We have unlawful people in Washington abusing their power, oppressing the American people. And, and so we can't do or say enough. And we should be using the power of the purse. We should have a speaker and a leader that says, heck no, the House isn't going to go along until you secure the border. We're not going to do anything until you secure the border. But we don't have enough individuals with courage to do that. I think we're going to take a whack at it in the appropriations process, make it tougher for him to do it. But we should impeach the president because of the border. We we need more investigation on the Biden crime family, and I'm glad that we're proceeding with that. Sure. We don't need investigation on the border. No, it's a, 
it's been outlined pretty well. And, and now the, at least the mainstream media, they're getting forced to, to cover it because there's so many bodies pouring in on an hourly basis right now. We really hope, uh, you know, and we're going to continue to support you in all your endeavors and all the great work you're doing up on Capitol Hill, Congressman. This has been awesome sitting down with you for the first time. I think after our listenership hears you today, they're going to be begging us for you to come back. We hope that you will at some point in the future. We're going to live link your congressional website in the show description today. But if there's anybody that's not following you on social media and wants to even check you out more, where can they find you? At Rep. Bob Good, uh, Bob Good for Congress.com or good.house.gov. Absolutely love it. As you can tell from the last 20 minutes of uh, conversation we had right now, this guy is absolutely fighting for America up on Capitol Hill. This is the man who's serving Virginia 5. Representative Bob Good, thanks for joining us on the show and getting things started on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Thank you, guys. Attorney General Garland to address any number of real substantive problems facing the American people. Instead, House Republicans will use their time today to talk about long discredited conspiracy theories and Hunter Biden's laptop. Republicans made it clear even before the hearing started with members telling reporters that nothing, nothing Merrick Garland could or would say today was going to satisfy them, that they would peddle all sorts of conspiracy theories. Republicans accusing the Justice Department of going easy on President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, who currently faces a rarely used and constitutionally questionable gun charge. It was brought by Trump-appointed prosecutor who was given special counsel status by, wait for it, Merrick Garland. Quote, Mr. Weiss has full authority to bring cases in other jurisdictions if he feels it's necessary. That was your response, Attorney General, to Senator Grassley's question on March 1st, 2023. You just referenced it when Mr. Bishop was questioning you. Only problem is he'd already been turned down by the U.S. attorney in the District of Columbia, Mr. Graves. So he didn't have full authority, did he? I had an extended conversation with uh, Senator Grassley at the time. We briefly touched on the Section 515 question and how that process went. Um, I've never been suggested. My point's real simple, Mr. Garland. You said he had complete authority, but he'd already been turned down. He wanted to bring an action in the District of Columbia, and the U.S. attorney there said, no, you can't. And then you go tell the United States Senate under oath that he has complete authority. Our job is not to do what is politically convenient. Our job is not to take orders from the president, from Congress, or from anyone else about who or what to criminally investigate. As the president himself has said, and I reaffirm today, I am not the president's lawyer. I will add, I am not Congress's prosecutor. The Justice Department works for the American people. Our job is to follow the facts and the law, and that is what we do. All right, jumping into the news now on this big Friday edition of the show. Guys, we've got a packed lineup. It was great sitting down with Congressman Bob Good for the first time to get the show started. And now we're going to jump into, uh, listen, Noah might wear out the garrison button by the end of this segment. We're going to provide full coverage of the Merrick Garland hearing that happened up on Capitol Hill this week. And, uh, you know, some of the best dunks, but uh, also you've got to hear his answers, which they seem to be lacking. Now, Noah, I know Merrick Garland is your favorite radicalized attorney general. Nope. (laughs) And we're going to dive right into it here. You know, they touched on a number of issues, and, and it really seemed to perturb the embattled attorney general. And we're going to get things started with Matt Gates. He obviously went in on something that's kind of at the focal point of a lot of news circulating around the U.S. Justice Department right now, as you heard Nicole Wallace seething over, and that's Hunter Biden. He was asked multiple questions 
about the appointment of David Weiss. And I just want to remind our listenership, you know, you keep hearing from both sides of the aisle, especially in the media, that David Weiss, who's now the special counsel for Hunter Biden's case, was a Trump-appointed judge. I just want to remind everybody for the way the world works in reality. The senators from Delaware are both Democrats. Therefore, it doesn't matter if you nominate Jesus for the role of, you know, attorney general for the state. Unless those two sitting senators approve the nomination, he doesn't get to be the attorney general of Delaware. So to say this person is a moderate, at the very least, probably left-leaning. I mean, he did do the Hunter Biden investigation for over five years and basically tried to give him the hall pass away from being in trouble for anything ever. So that just tells you what the, air quoting now, Trump-appointed judge title means. Not much. Not much at all. So let's jump into Matt Gates hitting Merrick Garland on Hunter Biden and really getting under his skin to get things started. Just wondering, Mr. Attorney General, has anyone at the department told President Biden to knock it off <laughs> with Hunter? I mean, you guys are charging Hunter Biden on some crimes, investigating him on, on others. You've got the president bringing Hunter Biden around to state dinners. Has anyone told him to knock it off? Our job in the Justice Department is to pursue our cases without reference uh, to what's happening in the outside world. But just yes or no? Have you done that? That is what we do. So it's a no? No one that I know of has spoken to the White House about the Hunter mm-hmm. Biden case. I'm wondering of course that. Not. Okay, I got it. I got it. So Hunter Biden is selling art to pay for his $15,000 a month rent in Malibu. How can you guarantee that the people buying that art? aren't doing so to gain favor with the president. Mm. The job of the Justice Department is oh, to investigate oh, criminal oh, allegations. Oh, 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 have information. Are you investigating this? Oh. I mean, someone who bought Hunter Biden's art ended up with a prestigious appointment to a federal position. Doesn't it look weird that he's, making, he's become this immediate success in the art world as his dad is president of the United States? Mm-hmm. Isn't that odd? I'm not going to comment about any specific... Not going to comment, not going to investigate. So, Hunter Biden... That's right, he said. How delicious is that? Wow. He said that's right. (laughs) You know, it's like they brought the right questions this time, and and we like to remind our listenership as well, you know, listen, we're all about it, especially these congressional hearings, because at the bare minimum, they expose the double standard and, and corruptive nature of these agencies and how bad they've become. But here's the deal. These hearings end and Merrick Garland goes back to being the tyrannical attorney general of the United States that he's been since he was confirmed by the Senate back in 2021. And that's kind of it at the end of the day. Um, You know, defunding him through the appropriations process, which is still a battle up on Capitol Hill. We're going to be touching on that in our next new segment is definitely an avenue that I hope we go down. But when you're talking about, how radicalized the Justice Department has come such a long way under Merrick Garland's leadership right now. Don't expect this guy to be, you know, set up for any impeachments anytime soon. So you got Joe Biden with the impeachment inquiry. I think Alejandro Mayorkas would be a slam dunk second. Merrick Garland a third. We've only got less than a year and a half until the president's change office again. God, it's that long? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, we, we have to be able to provide you guys with the questions that these congressmen and women are asking, and there are going to be some good ones here. Here's Representative McClintock talking about the appointment of Jack Smith. 
all the crap going on with the IRS whistleblowers and how Merrick Garland finds ways to uh, kind of shimmy around the questioning here as well. Let's check it out. Is recognized. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, looking again at the appointment of, of Jack Smith and, and David Weiss, th- this double standard of, of justice couldn't be more glaring. Uh, Jack Smith was deeply involved in the IRS scandal that targeted conservative uh, political groups to harass. Uh, his malicious prosecution of former Governor uh, uh, McDonnell was unanimously overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court. Chief Justice uh, Roberts rebuked Smith directly for attempting to, to criminalize political activity. You appointed him to prosecute Joe Biden's chief rival for the presidency. And then we have the appointment of David Weiss. Weiss deliberately allowed the statute of limitations to run out on any charges that could have implicated Joe Biden in influence peddling. Uh, He originally offered Hunter Biden a sweetheart deal that was ultimately upended by the court. And he's the one you appointed to pursue the charges that could implicate Joe Biden. That leads me to only two explanations, either corruption or incompetence. Which is it? Dang. Those are the kind of questions that judges would rule out of order. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would. Which is it? <laughs> Look, uh, I, I said uh, before, and I will say again, Mr. Weiss was the Republican-appointed United States attorney appointed by but, but President this, this Trump. Means nothing. Do, you at least, do you at least see the obvious uh, double standard uh, applied in these two appointments? Mr. Weiss was a Republican appointee. Mr. W- Mr. Um, Smith is uh, not um, registered to either party. His entire I, I career was as a career prosecutor. Are. I'm not well, asking what their party registrations like are. I'm asking about their records and how those records would commend them to the appointments that you made. This is a question of judgment, and it's a question of motive. What was motivating you to do this? Mr. Smith had a nationwide reputation for integrity uh, and for uh, appropriate prosecution. His work can be measured by what he actually has filed. Everyone in the country can see the indictments. How can you say that after he was so heavily implicated in the IRS scandal Mm. or or the rebuke that the Supreme Court gave and many other examples? But let me go on. We've had two uh, uh, IRS whistleblowers inform Congress of attempts by by senior Justice Department officials to obstruct the criminal investigation into millions of dollars of ill-gotten and undeclared income to Hunter Biden. They noted several deviations by department officials from normal process that provided preferential treatment, in this case to Hunter Biden, a direct quote, including allowing the statute of limitations to lapse, requesting IRS and FBI management level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Noah? I'm just still stuck on the fact that Hunter Biden pays $15,000 a month rent. Can you do a Garland? He's like a level up from Mayorkas and a level down from Fauci. He's like right in the middle. Yeah, I'd have to listen to it again. Mm, don't worry, I've got some more. Uh, but before we get into that... I want to remind everybody that's listening to the show today. Guys, no matter what platform it's on, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, etc., make sure you're following and subscribing to and downloading the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Our shares on social media have been up. We can't thank you guys enough. Just a small portion of those shares would subscribe to the show. would help us out in the algorithms, in the top 100, etc., and help our voice be amplified, of course, for all of you guys. And then across social media is Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram, Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. 
follow us and hit the notification bell. Then you'll be all caught up to date on everything Steak for Breakfast podcast related. I want to remind everybody also we've got former OMB under President Trump, Russ Vogt, coming in for the first time at the end of this segment. We're going to jump over to the great state of Texas now, one of our favorite congressmen, the man who introduced Yum Yum to the congressional record, (laughs) Troy Nels. Of course, you know, he was just foaming at the mouth, waiting. And, and, you know, when when you talk about the backstory here and the receipts that House Republicans were trying to get, it wasn't just for the appointments of people like Jack Smith and David Weiss to special counsels or what, you know, Merrick Garland wants to admit he knows or doesn't know about Hunter Biden and his business dealings. It's also going back all the way to try and get receipts on Joe Biden, talking about the double standard of the impeachment that was, you know, thrown on President Trump for his phone call with Zelensky in Ukraine, and then what Joe Biden did in 2014 when he went over there and got people fired who were investigating his son. Let's check it out. So he would stop looking into Burisma, where Hunter was on the board. Would you agree? All right, let's let the American people decide. Play the clip. Play the clip. Remember going over convincing our team, our others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, right, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed Kiev. to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from Pay attention, uh, sir, Yatsenyuk <laughs> that they would take action against I'm the looking. state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah. I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, "You're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here." And I think it was what six hours. I looked. I said, "I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money." Oh, son of a bitch! <laughs> got fired, and they put in place someone who there was solid. Mr. Attorney General, what you just saw, there was Joe Biden in his arrogance and role as the vice president in this country saying, if you don't fire Shokin, the United States isn't given the $1 billion loan. Why would Joe Biden say that as the vice president? Why would he say such a thing? Was it policy? Was it our policy at the time? Yes or no? It wasn't. I have documents here. Interagency policy committee dated October. Point of information: 15th. Is the gentleman Saint ever going to let the I'm gentleman on my time. Pipe Shut down. your fat ass up, Nadler. Saint Shokin had made significant the reforms. Texas. There you go, He's Jim made Jordan. significant reforms. Shokin did. Matter of fact, John Kerry says he was impressive. And you know, within a few months after Shokin was fired, they appoint a prosecutor that said, "We're not going to look in the Burisma anymore." Cancel that. Forget it. We're not looking into Burisma. Boom. Here comes the million dollars. Joe Biden threatened the Ukrainian president and the prime minister. Everybody can see it. The fire shoken or the United States won't give the billion dollars. If that is not quid pro quo, sir, what is? I will tell you what it is. And America agrees with me. It's bribery and it's impeachable. Are you going to do something about it? I bet you not. And that's why you, sir, also need to be impeached. I yield back. And we love... That was the best back and... Well, that was the best fourth I've heard in a while. I love Troy Nels. He's so funny. But he, listen, he always brings the series... He should have just dropped... And then there's Yum Yum, too. We're not going to talk about that, yeah. but there's also Yum Yum. <laughs> and Yum Yum. God, we asked him for that receipt on the show last time he was on. Mm-hmm. And although there's been a lot of good ones, I have to talk about the crown jewel. I'm going to lead into this one, Noah, because I know you're not uh, too familiar with the congresswoman... Uh, I think the best part was you were going to let me hear more of uh, what's his nuts 
talk, and then he didn't get to talk. Okay, and it's someone who our listenership might not be too familiar with, and that's Congresswoman Sparks. She rarely speaks up, and to this level, in any of the committee work that she does. However, a little bit of a backstory. Congresswoman Sparks was born in the Ukraine, under the thumb of communism. While Russia still controlled the region, her family immigrated to the United States. She became a U.S. citizen and now is a congresswoman on the Republican side. She's America first. She's all about Trump. And she laid the absolute fucking hammer down on Merrick Garland when she had her round of questioning for him the other day. Let's check it out. General, you had a very moving statement about your grandparents coming here uh, from Belarus to live in the country without fear of prosecution. I grew up in very similar country, Ukraine now, and when I came here as a young person, I believed in the value as an American not to be afraid of my government. But I wanted to tell you, and I want to share with you and get your thoughts on that. Are you aware that a lot of Americans are now uh, afraid of being prosecuted by your department? Are you aware about that? Are you aware of that? I'm just saying, are you aware or not? Uh, I think that uh, constant attacks on the department and saying no, it's that... It's not the, attacks. Well, let me, let me give you an example. I don't know. We talk what, about January 6th. Sorry? Here, there, there, some people came on January 6th. There are probably were some people that came on January 6th here, you know, that had bad intent. But a lot of good Americans from my district came here because they are sick and tired of this government not serving them. They came with strollers and the kids, and there was chaotic situation because the proper security wasn't provided. That's a question that was answered really why. Why we debated for 45 minutes on the floor and didn't stop the debate after the people broke in into the Capitol. But these people came, they were throwing the smoke bombs into the crowd with strollers with kids. People were showed up, you know, FBI agent to people's houses. You had in my district, in my town, FBI phone numbers all over the district. Please call. Call that. People are truly afraid. I just want to make sure if you're not aware that you are. And this is a big problem when people are afraid of their own government. And I'll share some other things. We're talking about justice system. I don't question. You're probably not a bad person. I don't know you. But well, I'll tell you, you're in charge of the department. And people right now feel, you know, I look at Durham report and I call on the FISA violations of queries of millions of Americans, right? It's like KGB, but when I read Durham reports, we have this, you have a nice, you know, playbook. First, let's have a special counsel, and then you don't have to answer any questions here. Yeah. Then, let's extend slow work investigation on Hillary Clinton, on Hunter, Everything is slow walk. We were very quick on Donald Trump, but you were very slow walk. Then, by mm. the time, right. you know, that investigation and its statute of limitation expired, and all of your agents need to be tested for amnesia. No one recalls anything. Mm. Okay, you mm. probably should have as part of your hiring policy. So no one held accountable, which was egregious what happened, you know, in that report. When I read about them, I can't believe it happened in the United States of America. This is... My frustration, I'll be honest with you. Then, 
It's very interesting, you know, regardless what it is, even people in Obama administration raise concerns. You know, how can President Sanz be serving on, you know, corrupt Ukrainian oligarchs? Do you understand that it actually can undermine the one Ukrainian effort and policy? I think these concerns were raised. The Obama administration didn't do anything about it. These people are dying right now, and Americans don't trust this president. So you, I want to ask you one thing. You know, as you, you know, I don't need answer because I know you're not going to, but I think you're probably good American and you care. And a lot of these people are so afraid they cover up this stuff, I think, in your department because they're embarrassed that what we became as a country to say that what our Department of Justice became. That allows Russians to do propaganda in Chinese. It allows them to destabilize our country. That is danger to our republic. It is significant danger. And I have just one more question from you. You know, I mean, I agree on corporate crimes and FISA stuff, even with Democrats, that we need to do a better job. One more question for you. Do you believe that, you know, you talk about rights to vote, but do you believe that only U.S. citizens should be voting in this election and doing anything to make sure that only eligible people vote in elections? Yes and yes. Okay. Mm. Well, he answered something. Or somebody let him answer something. Mm. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know about him being a good American and actually caring. I think that was a stretch. Yeah. But I mean, when you're hammering them that bad and you got to throw them a bone, you're literally calling them a communist and you're comparing the Department of Justice to the KGB. Yeah. Well, I mean, she knows from experience. Fact check. True. Mm. So those were the highlights of the way that, you know, House Republicans wanted to hammer Merrick Garland on some of these double standard and, and biased investigations that are going on at the Justice Department. And like I said. Although nothing will happen or come of him from this, I hope House Republicans continue to use the same narratives as they go through their investigative processes and use oversight to get to the bottom of some of the things they're currently investigating. Last clip right now before we jump in with Russ Vote for the first time. She sent it to me yesterday and I said, you want to know what? That makes the show because it's fire. One of our great friends, Kingsley Cortez, she was on the news and I saw her kind of give a little bit of commentary on all of this, and she gave a little bit of a hammerage to Merrick Garland. Let's hear it. Listen, Merrick oh. Garland should be imprisoned at best, impeached at worst. Mm. This is a guy who has totally oversaw the weaponization of the Department of Justice. He has gone after Catholics who like traditional Latin masses. He's gone after school board parents. He's gone after the January 6th peaceful protesters. He's gone after presidential candidate Donald Trump through Jack Smith in an attempt to subvert the 2024 election. This is a guy who deserves our total contempt. And it is disgusting to see members of Congress praise him as someone who's impartial because the reality is the Department of Justice is now the Department of Injustice and of <laughs> double standards. It is a two-tier justice system that punishes those who have opinions that are disfavored by the regime. And I hope to see Merrick Garland held accountable. The Weaponization Committee is doing a fantastic job exposing a lot of the rot that is in his agency, but Americans want the other shoe to drop. We don't want to just gather evidence. We want action. What are we going to do with all of this that we uncover? I think we should defund them, and I hope to see Republicans fight for that, especially as we enter this continuing resolution spending battle. Listen, guys, especially all of our America First single men out there, I know you guys love her, 
I, we never get more comments on a podcast post than when Kingsley Cortez <laughs> is on. You guys can only put so many flames or the wood memes on there. <laughs> we we all know you guys just absolutely love her. We love her too. More for the commentary, but I just wanted to say congratulations to Kingsley because she recently got engaged as well. So we're uh, celebrating that, although we're probably hearing mass sadness now across the <laughs> podcasting universe as it shoots out in waves and waves and waves. But uh, don't worry. She'll be back on the show in just a few weeks. We're getting ready to jump in with Russ Vote right now, but before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the former director of the Office of Management and Budget, served during the Trump administration. He's currently the president of the Center for Renewing America, our favorite center here on the show. Mr. Russ Vogt, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Absolutely. Looking forward to talking with you. Looking forward to uh, having a great discussion with you. So we could jump into it right here. We're just getting ready to talk about the budget and what's going on up on Capitol Hill. Pretty strange times, especially when you consider all the other factors that are happening around the infighting between the House Republicans right now. You've got Zelensky's visit yesterday combined with the absolute disaster that the borders turned into over the course of the last couple of weeks. It's really ramped up there. Now, as someone who kind of was at the end of this process uh, when you served during the Trump administration, had a lot of feedback into what went into things, how do you see this shaping up? And do you think this is the most appropriate time for you know some of the strongest House Republicans on the America First side to be taking a stand on it? I do, because one of the ways that Washington, D.C., governs is through the appropriations, the spending process. So even though you you may not want to use these things, it's really the only way that you can override what I call the cartel is to use these leverage points to defund woke and weaponized government. So the battle that's been happening this week is really a manifestation of what's been going on for months. And that is concern with Kevin McCarthy, that he is basically in in coalition with Hakeem Jeffries instead of House conservatives. And there's a laundry list of existential crises facing the country, including the border, but also the prosecutions and the weaponization of the Department of Justice, bringing back COVID policies. And we need to have a comprehensive effort to defund all of the th- bad things that are happening at the agency. Uh, and we have not been able to do that. That's what people like Matt Gates and Dan Bishop and Eli Crane have been fighting for. And as of yesterday, they made substantial progress in moving that forward. Yeah, you know, that's a lot of the America First congressmen who come on this show on a frequent basis. We love having them. And they've been saying it for months, much like you said, you know, Kevin McCarthy didn't adhere to a lot of the stipulations that went into him becoming speaker. And here we are now 
less than two weeks away from a potential government shutdown, which is what I want to ask you about next. I mean, you know, there, there's a strong enough delegation. I think once it gets past four votes, it's, it's pretty much dead in the House that are going to make sure that, you know, we don't just continuing resolution for another month. Because what that essentially does is it gives leadership on the Democrat side to formulate the omnibus that they're going to present to us next, which will just, you know, be the way it always is in Washington. And we cannot be doing that, especially when they want to do so much post-COVID spending. When you see the potential for this government shutdown coming, uh, you know, just around the corner, do you think that this might be the time to kind of pause it so we get some kind of a congressional reset and everybody back on the same page? Absolutely. I mean, the, the country is in crisis and it is totally appropriate to force the country's attention on the leverage point that is whether funding is going to lapse or not. And that's really what occurs at the end of the fiscal year. And, you know, I, I did this for President Trump. You know, the administration has all tools in its toolbox to be able to minimize the pain, to make it painless as possible, consistent with the law, which was my mantra at OMB. They, they will probably not do that. They will make it as painful as possible. That said, uh, this is an appropriate fight. And honestly, I, w- I, I, I think that if you have half the country that is being aimed at by the regime, the woke and weaponized government that we are we're suffering from, and you don't use your leverage points like this, I think people have a, a, an incredible uh, uh, opportunity to think, like, what are you doing? Why did we put a House Republican majority in place if not to use the leverage points that are there? And there are fewer there than 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 normal because of earlier bills that have passed. But if you don't use these leverage points, how else are you going to convince the country that it's 1159, that we don't have a lot of time to save our country? We, we can't always wait to the next election. We've got to do what we can do now to be able to force the debate and win a consensus and be able to drive attention to the policies of Joe Biden's administration. Yeah, it's pretty funny. You know, Republicans, historically, we've only had four Republican House speakers throughout the course of the last 60-some-odd years. They always love to play the victim in the House of Representatives. They always fare better, you know, hyping themselves up for future elections while they're playing from behind and in the minority in the House of Representatives as well. And now, since they have the majority, albeit slim, you have Republicans now blaming other Republicans, saying it's their fault they're not getting wins up on Capitol Hill, when that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we cannot just continue. I mean, the budget uh, deficit, you know, Two trillion dollars a year. You've got the national debt hitting thirty-three trillion now for the first time ever. You see the cost of everything just exploding through the roof. Every it's impossible to own a house, almost nearly impossible to own a car these days. And just food, fuel, and shelter cost most Americans about seventy percent of their total income at the moment. And we we have to be able to you know regulate this stuff down to where we start trimming the absolute fat and stop letting Democrats say, well, the only way you're going to get border security minus E-Verify is if you like fund Ukraine and then have a whole bunch of other pork in there. We can't just live on this because at some point the rest of the world is going to say this country is so off track financially. Not only are we going to lose the world reserve currency, we're going to put ourselves in a situation where we just can't fund ourselves anymore. And I think that's the challenge, right? Is for decades we've allowed, uh, a neoconservative establishment that the only way to ever tackle spending billions of dollars and is a substantial portion of the budget, but to focus on Social Security and Medicare. And my view has been, and you know, President Trump's view was we've got to go at the agency like the even the EPA, right? EPA puts a Navy veteran in jail for 18 months for building four ponds on his ranch to fight wildfire. 
He is, he puts in jail under a criminal statute. And you can find examples like this every agency you go. And so I my view is that the way to deal with inflation, the, the way to deal with our spending crisis is to go first and foremost at the part that is most harmful to the American people. So when you bring it to their attention, they're thinking, not as only wasteful, it's harming me. And that you will have an incredible political coalition to sustain all the things that are necessary to get us both freer and safer as a country to have no security without and similarly to actually deal with the fiscal challenges that we're facing that you so eloquently articulated. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be wild. You know, we usually don't have the horses, but there are so many fighters in this freshman class of Congress, plus some of the ones who for the last couple of years have been raising these concerns and bringing them to the forefront of, you know, the Republicans' business in the House of Representatives. I think we finally got a good enough chemistry. That and included with an upcoming election where, you know, they're going to be focused on adding to that America First delegation in Congress. I think we can get this problem solved, but I, I still fear we're going to go through some growing pains. Russ, I want to segue a little bit. I heard you talk about, you know, the weaponized Department of Justice, especially in the case of uh, President Trump. You know, we saw Merrick Garland and just wrapped a segment on talking about his congressional testimony this week up on Capitol Hill. I'm sure you probably were tuned into that and saw a whole lot of the BS he kind of proprieted as what his stances were, what he knew and did not know, what he was able to talk about and, and not so much. And then a lot of the pushback he got from from House Republicans as the Democrats, of course, sat there and rolled their eyes. You know, the fallout from that, this is probably one of the most radical attorney generals, if not the biggest in the history of, of modern politics and definitely the biggest revenge hire, uh, you know, after what happened with his Supreme Court nomination. How do you think we ever find accountability for somebody like Merrick Garland when, uh, you know, we have so much other stuff to look into, namely Joe Biden and his son Hunter? And then, you know, we know Congress is deep diving into Alejandro Mayorkas as well. Well, Republicans have to have a a much more high, higher tolerance for using all of the things that are that are available to provide accountability. And so like with Mayorkas, they currently can't get the impeachment uh, uh, petition out of the Judiciary Committee. That's a major problem. On our side, you know, we typically have this this approach that of reasonableness. And given how late it is in the country, you know, our guys don't put a hold on every single nominee like me. Right? I, of course, Democrats fought me like crazy when I was going through confirmation. Our side doesn't do that on every nominee. Uh, it's been unheard of for Tommy Tuberville to be able to fight all these DOD woke nominees, and he's gotten beat up by Republicans. Yeah, and and then that to the next level of impeachment. We need to be quickly impeaching these individuals. It doesn't need to be this long, drawn out process. You need to make the case to the country and you need to do it. And I, and I think it doesn't have to be this kind of thing where, OK, we're going to do impeachment or we're going to use a funny, uh, the leverage point of a government shutdown. No, we've got to use all of it, all of the leverage points and realize that when it's as late as it is in this country, you cannot leave things on the table that the founders have given to you to be able to exercise accountability. You've got to throw the kitchen sink at them. You sure do. And, I, you know, when you talk about people like Alejandro Mayorkas and, and Merrick Garland, they're two people that definitely need it because they are so arrogant in, in their testimony that, you know, they know as soon as those hearings over for as many gotcha moments that the Republicans can have conversationally with them on and, you know, for television rights, uh, they go back to the office. I mean, I heard today Alejandro Mayorkas is, is 
is not adhering to at least 90 areas of the U.S. Code, in addition to changing a whole bunch of other, you know, court rulings administratively just to be able to have the border continue to be the disaster it is. And then we all know what's going on with, with Merrick Garland with between the appointal of Jack Smith to the special counsel or someone like Judge Chuckin, who, you know, essentially worked with Hunter Biden and was somebody that was all in on the Russiagate conspiracy. It's one of those things where you, you, you can't see it, Unless you really expose it, and that's what the the House Republicans really need to do. Russ, last thing I want to touch with you, and I think it's so important when we have somebody from from a great organization like the Center for uh, Renewing America on, can you just tell our listenership a little bit about your guys' message and mission and what you guys got going on down there? Because it's so important, like you said, in in the waning hours of this country right now to have organizations with, with true patriots out there who are fighting for America First policies across the board. Yeah, I think what 2016 revealed and the rise of the, the Donald Trump movement, the nationalist movement, the Make America Great movement, was that uh, the definition of conservatism that had been assumed in Washington, D.C. was not the same definition of conservatism by, by the base and a substantial portion of independence. And it was largely uh, void of talking about your interest as a country. Uh, there was an emphasis, overemphasis on economy versus a nation. Um, and our organization tries to renew a consensus on the right and as a result, the nation, that we are a nation for God, for country, and for community. And with each of those, we're, we're emphasizing what we believe is a corrective that needs to occur on the right, which is we've been previously too secular, too imperialistic, and too focused on the economy to the exclusion of other priorities that are vital. And so what we essentially do is provide a policy organization. We, we create battle plans, battle plans for politicians who are America first to go in, not unlike what we saw this week with the appropriations process, uh, but we're also preparing for the next administration that we get a chance to have a conservative in. We provide battle plans along these lines that are not playing in the same uh, sandbox that the left and establishment Republicans have agreed for us to play in. That's We are constantly trying to get out of that sandbox. Uh, it's funny because you, you look at the way things are shaping up, and if all things go according to plan, I mean, you see how strong President Trump is right now. I really do think not only the Republican establishment and the Uniparty, but the radical progressive left and the free-for-all that they've had for now almost three years uh, up in Washington, D.C., they better be ready for uh, big-time changes because they will be swift and they will be sweeping, to say the very least. Russ, this has been awesome sitting down with you today for the first time. We hope at some point in the future you'd be able to come back and join us. You're such a trove of information and insight that really I think our listenership needs to hear on a more regular basis. We're going to live link the Center for Renewal in the show description today, but for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Appreciate you letting me be on the show. I'll be on as often as you want, and everyone can find me at all, all the social media channels at, at @russvote. Uh, and our website is AmericaRenewing.com. Absolutely fantastic. This is the current president of the Center for Renewing America, Mr. Russ Vogt. Thanks for joining us on the show today. You bet. Take care. The need is for Republicans to stop talking about open borders. When you see the CBP officers releasing migrants in mass on the street, do you think that sends a message to people that the border's open? The border is not open. What you see is different than what happens in, in actuality opportunity to express our appreciation for the resilience, the strength, the heart, the soul that the Ukrainian people have exhibited, and of course their courage and their bravery on the battlefield and 
amongst the civilian population. First, with regards to the United States' commitment to Ukraine, there are 26 Republican lawmakers, including six senators, a small minority, as you mentioned before, um, who sent a letter to the OMB director saying that they were unaware of just how much the administration has spent thus far in support of Ukraine. They know how much was appropriated, obviously. They don't know how much has been spent thus far. Do you have a general figure you can give us? I'm not going to stand here and give a precise figure. What I will tell you is that we have supplied to the Congress every dollar that has been obligated. So if they are unaware, it's because they are not looking at the reports that we are submitting to the Hill. I rise to put the leadership of the House, the Senate, and the President of the United States on notice. I will not consent to any expedited passage of any spending bill that provides any more American aid to Ukraine. It's as if no one has noticed that we have no extra money to send to Ukraine. Our deficit this year will exceed $1.5 trillion. Are you you confident that Congress is going to support your uh, efforts to get this supplemental aid? Did you get any assurances? I'm counting on the good judgment of the United States Congress. There's no alternative. Thank you. Is Zelensky elected to Congress? Is he our president? I don't think I have to commit anything. I have questions for him. Where's the accountability on the money we already spent? What is the plan for victory? I think that's what the American public wants to know. Look, what Russia has done invade is wrong. It's an atrocity. and We want to make sure that ends. I also have always said from the beginning, no matter what the issue is, I want accountability for whatever the hardworking taxpayers spend their money on, and I want a plan for victory. Well, we're going to talk about a story of two borders now. The one along the southern portion of our United States and the one that has been endlessly funding the war in Ukraine and the vast difference of attention that are going to both. Now, Noah, I'm sure you were thrilled to see Cookie Monster was here yesterday. Fucking asshole. At least he had buttons this time on his fucking shirt. And his wife was wearing designer everything. Yeah, I mean, she can get herself squared away. What, he... Fucking asshole. It's just such fucking bullshit. For show. Put the guy in a goddamn suit. It's not that hard. Do you have any commentary on the actual war on the ground? (laughs) The war on the ground? Mm -hmm. What war on the ground? lack thereof. The smiting? Mm. Yeah, that's ugly. Just like how Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell felt yesterday when Speaker McCarthy said he wasn't going to seat a joint session of Congress so Vladimir can yell at all of us for more money again. How, how, How much time does he actually spend in the Ukraine? Well, he's in Canada today. So, yes. (laughs) Here's another good one. You you heard that soundbite from Kevin McCarthy saying like, oh, is is Vladimir Zelensky the president of the United States? Are we financially bound to him? Blah, blah, blah. He literally went from that speaking event to a closed-door photo opportunity with House Minority Leader, in title only, Hakeem Jeffries, put on his little Ukraine lapel pin and took a picture with Hakeem Jeffries and Vladimir Zelensky in front of the signed Ukrainian flag that he brought to Congress last time he was here to yell at us for more money. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile. Wait, is this before or after he threatened us by having all of his people that are here now? If, if we don't continue to support Ukraine, they're going to revolt and the not, not be grateful revolt. anymore. Mm, so much gratefulness. All while this was going on, Joe Biden was flying around the country this week. Get ready for this one, Noah. Not talking about Bidenomics. 
but promoting his new border policy. He has a border policy? Care to listen? Let's check it out. No. First, we put in place policies that process people in a fair and fast way. Second, faster. significantly expanding legal pathways for entry so businesses can get the workers they need. Families don't have to wait for a decade to be together. More voters. I've also directed my team to make historic increase in the number of refugees admitted from Latin America. Imagine that. Wait, historic from right now? People fleeing violence and persecution who simply want their kids to have a better life. Next week, my team will consult with Congress on this plan. Third, (laughs) we're supporting states and cities that have seen a surge in immigrants. We've developed federal experts to deploy them to help train city workers. We've launched outreach campaigns helping over a million eligible migrants apply for work permits. And we're accelerating the process for work permit applications. Right now, most migrants have to wait six months after filing a claim before they can go to work. Only Congress can change that. But the Secretary of Homeland Security can take extraordinary action. And yesterday, given the poor conditions in Venezuela, Secretary Mayorkas announced temporary protection for hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans already in this country. That's when he was uh, addressing the Latin American Democrat Caucus, and he would go on to end by thanking the African American Democrat Caucus. <laughs> well, he rounded that one out, didn't he? Yeah, fi- I figure he just gets all the demographics in there in one one fell swoop. Yeah, Venezuela. Where does where does the things that happened in Venezuela? Where do those things kind of start sounding familiar now? Mm. Where could it be? Oh wait, it's here. Yeah. And that's the reason why shit is bad in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. It's because of us. Mm-hmm. That was us. Yeah. Much like Ukraine. Mm-hmm. That was also us. You guys noticing a trend here? Yeah, we, we, we didn't like the puppet regime. Now we just got Cookie Monster. Yeah. And we're getting our oil from Venezuela, which is like literally the dirtiest sludge on the planet that we have to clean here in Texas when we bring it up. Yeah, people don't seem to realize that Doing stuff in the United States, like natural gas, oil, gasoline, stuff like that. Like, we have so many regulations that it's it's probably the best that we're doing it. I mean, I, I've made this point before. Let's say you've got a truckload of trash and somebody dumps it in your front yard. Ouch. I saw that episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, you're going to burn the trash, but we can't burn the trash because it's bad for the environment. So you're going to pay your neighbor to rake all the shit over his side of the property. And then he's going to burn the trash. Like, that makes a fucking difference. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like, until we start holding China, India, all these places accountable for just their just rampant disregard for anything Green New Deal Mm. and and just basic, basic just fucking being a good steward of the fucking planet. It doesn't matter what we do because they're just going to do it worse. Like, how many coal-fired plants has has China opened this week? Well, they're they're on pace to have 150 open this year with 250 more under construction. That is ridiculous, and and, and that and that is the fault of people who don't bother to even think about where the things that they're buying are coming from. Businesses here in the United States that that. Don't give a fuck. It's like you're going to go door to door and be like, hey, would you like to uh, donate to the, the Chinese military? Mm. Oh, no, of course not. Why would, I, why would I do that? Well, you guys make your fucking shoes in China, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. 
No, it's, it's the truth. Not to mention the fucking slave labor and Uyghur genocide and organ harvesting. I mean, there's there's a veritable plethora of things that you could say that are fucked up about that particular part of the world. Let's get a notification that Kamala Harris will be heading the first ever federal uh, anti-gun violence office. God, speaking of organs that should be harvested. Mm. <laughs> if I could only cackle. Yeah. Don't forget Saudi Arabia when you want to talk about the uh, nasty polluters of everything. Oh, yeah. I just, you know, I ran out of fucking people to point the finger at. Soon to be a nuclear flavor. Mm. <laughs> Let's I'm, get it. I'm sure their uh, their nuclear waste is going to be, what, buried in a hole in the desert? Yeah. It's going to redefine burn pits. I mean, not that we don't do <laughs> similar things, yeah. but, you know. I grew up in a power plant town. They just used to take the rods and throw them in the water. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Three-eyed fish. Not yet. Let's get inside some of the numbers down on the U.S. southern border. Remember how we talked is that there was a downtick inside of the CBP-1 app, something all the America First congressmen who come on this show hate. Well, guess what? A downtick due to the CBP-1 app. Mm-hmm. So a downtick of illegal immigration because, and wait, there's more. CBP-1 makes it legal immigration. Even you, though it's the same shit. You ready for this one? This is kind of breaking news. Mm. It's been confirmed that the cartel has hacked the CBP-1 app. And, what? And now they are walling off people that have no affiliations to their cartel needs and fast-tracking all the people who owe them money into the United States. How does that even happen? It happened this week. Didn't hear about it in the mainstream press too much. Oh, wow. Remember, it's a $55 billion industry now down there in Mexico. Yeah. So... <laughs> Who else got hacked recently? Oh, it was uh, MGM and Caesars in Vegas. That's correct. They got hacked. It was like a ransomware thing. Mm-hmm. That is fucking wild. So they hacked the CBP-1 app, and now they're just using it as their very own what? One-stop shop for human smuggling online. I mean, it already was, but now it's now they actually have control over it. Like, oh, these people are going to be blacklisted because they're not going through the quote-unquote proper venues of uh getting their getting their admission squared away with the cartels and i know holy shit i know what some people are thinking come on steak for records that can't be true if everyone's crossing the u.s southern border using the cbp1 app now how can the cartels determine who comes in and who doesn't well that's pretty easy because just this year alone it's also been revealed this week that joe biden has flown from foreign countries 201,000 asylum seekers and dumped them off in 43 different cities so we're actually paying the cartels ourselves mm-hmm. via this president. Yes. In addition to that, we saw that uh, the government shutdown that's potentially going to happen in less than two weeks now will not fund the border. It'll keep the lights on. but The, none li- of the lights on at the border? None of, <laughs> none of the people working down there will be getting paid. However, all funding for Ukraine has been congressionally protected from being stopped during a government shutdown. Well, at least their border will be fine. Mm. Is it, though? No, not really. Is I'm it? Just, I'm just trying to be, you know, smartass. I also saw that some of the America First House Republicans have talked about investigating Alejandro Mayorkas in the near 90 areas of the U.S. Code that's not being enforced down on the U.S. southern border, in addition to many court rulings that Alejandro just goes and uh, writes a policy around to completely ignore. Yeah, fucking so, Ollie. Judge makes a ruling. He doesn't give a shit. I also want to remind everybody that HR2 was passed in the House, one of our only victories this entire year during the 118th Congress. Still hasn't made it through the Senate and is not passed. 
All right, so for anybody listening who doesn't know exactly what H.R. 2 is, let's expound on that. The 2023 Border Security Act. Anything's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Last but not least, I hate to say cherry on the top because it's absolutely fucking despicable. There are over 90,000 children who have crossed the southern border in the last two and a half years that the U.S. federal government has no idea where they are. Let me guess. Zero account of. In the wind. Think, just think of the worst things possible. Everything from poultry processing plants to sexual criminalization. That's where we're at on the U.S. southern border while Vladimir got his money and is gone in a wisp and now is toasting maple syrup with Justin Trudeau today saying, guess what? I got these assholes yet again. He probably does it in a little bit different voice. Noah does it. He's a little tired today. Maybe he'll do it. I got these assholes again. There you go. Ron John's not having anything to do with the situation down on the U.S. southern border. He was up on Capitol Hill yesterday talking about it. Let's hear him. My last trip in the border, uh, I've gotten to know the sheriffs down there, and and they always show us the pictures of the the dead, desiccated, bloated, animal-chewed bodies in the desert of the illegal flow. There are, there are hundreds every year. Uh, today I got a photo, and we're, we're, we're just going to put up half of the photo. I'm not showing you the worst part of this photo, the upper half. It's, it was literally the most horrific one I've seen today. Any reporters interested, I'll show it to you. But we're not reporting on, we're not recognizing the human toll, the inhumanity of the Biden administration policies. This was a human being, a human being that, that we might have let in, welcomed in under a legal immigration system, but Biden's open border policy has pushed back the possibility of us standing up a functioning legal immigration system. So again, what, what I'm asking members of the press to do is please fully report on this crisis, fully report on the human trafficking. So please, I, I'm just appealing to the mainstream media, pay attention to this. Show the American people the disaster that President Biden has caused at the border, the inhumanity of his policy. I don't know if you heard this or not, Noah, but uh, I saw on the news right before I left the house today, they had a couple bloated floaters in the uh, buzzsaw buoys this morning. Mm. They weren't victims of the buzzsaw buoys. They, they had said that the people obviously had died trying to cross the river and then were entangled in the buzzsaw buoys. It's awkward. Mm. I was going to make a Eddie Murphy reference when he said half, but <laughs> it was a little bit too soon. Well, we could always save it for the end of the show. Mm -hmm. mm, there you go. And again, you want to talk about what this administration gives a shit about and what it doesn't. You have General Milley, who's getting ready for retirement shortly here, uh, putting out on his official X account yesterday, Slava Ukraini, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you talk about the Biden administration huddling for the border, oh, yes, that has not happened once since Joe Biden took office. In a closed-door meeting with Vladimir Zelensky yesterday, you had the head of the DNI, the head of the CIA, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. You had, of course, the one person who just blows shit up all over the world, Victoria Nuland, in there as well. 
Joint Chiefs, uh, Mark Milley, SecDef, Lloyd Austin, General Christopher Cavoli. He's the commander of U.S. European Forces, the commander of Special Assistance Groups Ukraine, Lieutenant General Antonio Agudo. That's who will be commanding your uh, sons and daughters when they get sent over to Ukraine. And, of course, well, I hope he does a good old job. Mm, Samantha Powers of U.S. AIDS. So, like the disease? That's what I feel like when <laughs> I have to talk about Ukraine. <laughs> like I have full-blown AIDS. But, Jesus. no, unfortunately, it's not. It's the people that are funneling money into the greatest war in the history of wars that no uh, one's winning. No, I, I can tell you exactly who's winning. Mm. Ukrainian oligarchs. Yes. Who are fucking out on their yachts, not in any danger, while Zelensky's... Perusing French villas on Zillow. Yeah, basically. It's ugly. Much like Senator Chuck Schumer, when he was uh, caught up with yesterday, he was not very happy that he was not allowed to bring Vladimir before a joint session of Congress. He had a little bit of a bone to pick with Speaker McCarthy. Let's hear him. Let me just, there was a single sentence that summed it all up, and I'm quoting him verbatim. Mr. Zelensky said, if we don't get the aid, oh, God. we will lose the war. That's a quote from him. Was there pushback from Republicans in that room? You're going to lose the war whether you get the aid or not. They've already lost the war. The war's been lost. Yeah, what the fuck am I saying? You know, and it's going to be really interesting to sit down with uh, Colonel Rob Manis in just a few minutes and get his insight of this. I'm sure he's got a lot to say. Guys, last clip, we're getting ready to jump in. With, with Colonel Manis, as I just said, we've got Josh Hawley coming in hot talking about all this bullshit here. I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the podcast today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, make sure you're subscribed to and following the Steak for Breakfast podcast so it downloads the shows that we put out. Also on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow, and hit the notification bell. All right, last one here in this segment, A Tale of Two Borders. Josh Hawley jumped on. The Botox Queen, Laura Ingram show last night to give a little insight on the never-ending aid to Ukraine while the U.S. southern border continues to deteriorate. Let's hear it. Surprised me if Senator stood and just handed him bales of cash, Laura, as he came in. Listen, not over my vote, though. I mean, not with my support. We shouldn't be spending a dime more on Ukraine. We need an accounting of every dime that has been spent so far. And I'm just tired of, of hearing the president say over and over that we've got to invest. This is an investment in the future of every nation. What about our nation? It's not an investment in our future, in our people, in our jobs. That needs to be the priority. Well, your colleague, Lindsey Graham, um, mm. wants everyone to know what's really at stake. I think we have a button for with that. With this spending on Ukraine. Get ready, Kevin. You'll be in another war. Because Putin won't stop. He'll go to Moldova and other places. China will see this as a signal of weakness. So for all these people who say we need to get out of Ukraine to be tough on China, you're making a fatal mistake. Senator, how is America going further into debt? making us stronger against China. Mm. Yeah, I have to say, I just completely disagree with Lindsey Graham there. If you want to deter China, then get tough with China. Slap tariffs on China. Bring back our jobs from China. Stop them from treating our laborers like slave labor and driving down our wages and stealing our technology. That's how you get tough on China, not by spending money in Ukraine. So I just, I just don't get it. If you want to spend money in Ukraine, tell me why Ukraine is important. Don't tell me it's about China. That's in a completely different hemisphere, for heaven's <laughs> sakes. I mean, come on now. 
Let's focus on the real issue here, which is that we need to invest in this nation and we need to deter China. And we're not doing that by investing or spending money in Ukraine. Yeah, pretty much sums it up there and uh, sums up the absolutely rotten narrative that we have to talk about on this show. It's getting to the point. I mean, listen, last week we thought, uh, you know, when when the border experts reported that there was 4,000 crossing in one day, Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico are getting hit with like 10,000 a day now. It's not even funny anymore. These people are crossing two, three, four, five thousand 5,000 at a time. They're avoiding the ports of entry where apparently they're supposed to go because they know they get processed faster and immediately released into the United States. And nobody cares. Nobody cares. And, and just understand, if we have a government shutdown at the end of next week, the men and women who have been defending that border for the last almost three years now under Joe Biden's regime are going to get stuck going to work every fucking day and not getting paid until the government opens back up while Ukraine gets every single cent that Joe Biden has guaranteed to Zelensky. And the money that Ukraine's getting, it's not like all of it goes towards like the actual military onslaught or defense thereof. No. We're paying people's pensions, mm-hmm. like their government pensions. While their citizens party in Kiev. Yeah, you've seen the... like. Seen the rooftop bars. I know and how to trigger you. <laughs> fucking pools. Like, ah, the nightlife. The nightlife. I mean, every once in a while it gets interrupted by a rocket. <laughs> but for the most part, this is the world we're living in right now. Listen, guys, we're going to continue this narrative with Colonel Manis. He's coming in. Can't wait to sit down with him. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house... Our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's a 32-year U.S. Air Force combat veteran. He's also the host of the Rob Manis Show. Kind of spoiled it for everybody, but guess what? Colonel Rob Manis is here. Colonel, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Always a pleasure. How's everything going with you, and uh, how's everything going on your show? Always having some great guests and deep diving into uh, all the big issues. Yeah, things are going great. Uh, You know, we started doing this live audience on Spaces simulcast uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it's fantastic. I had had Michael Yan on uh, this week uh, on Wednesday for an entire hour from the Darien Gap uh, to talk about what he and uh, his colleagues are actually seeing and witnessing uh, with this invasion uh, into the United States of America. He calls it a war and then an invasion. Uh, and that, you know, wars have been started and, and won using mass migration uh, over the centuries. And uh, uh, I just would like to know who in the hell is orchestrating it, because uh, uh, it is unbelievable what's happening to this country. And most people don't know um, because the triggers haven't been pulled on things like the tens of thousands of Chinese military age mills that are now inside the United States. And we have no clue where the hell they're at. 
Yeah, I saw uh, Jan had, you know, just lines of, of Chinese nationals fighting age, single men coming in in Texas this week. And uh, listen, we try to tell our listenership all the time, like, you know, they see all these people crossing the border. And for some reason, you know, all the cable news channels want to just always say Haiti and Venezuela. But when you talk about the amount of Chinese, uh, Middle Eastern people, people from Ukraine and Russia as well that have come in since the start of the Biden administration, the numbers are just astronomical. Yeah, I mean, he he had uh, interviewed in Afghanistan uh, uh, some folks from Afghanistan that had gotten themselves out of the country uh, and were coming in through the Darien Gap and the southern border. Now, uh, there's no telling, uh, after those guys walked away from him, uh, how mad they are at the United States of America for abandoning them, uh, because that's why they had to leave their country, I'm sure. Uh, and you know, just that fact right there, uh, tells you that, uh, we're, we're in big trouble in this China thing. I mean, it's, it's in the tens of thousands, I believe now the, the military fighting age mills, uh, that are here and it's, that's disturbing. Uh, but it's also sad, you know, because, uh, because we know there are some political, real political asylum seekers, uh, that do want to come to this country. There are a lot of, uh, uh, Chinese, former Chinese nationals that are now uh, uh, citizens of the United States or legal residents that are helping to fight against the, the Chinese Communist Party every day. Uh, and, uh, but, but this entire mess just completely, you know, it masks all that. And uh, when you can't tell who's who, you have to go with the worst case scenarios. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very unfortunate that the media won't cover this and, 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 even more that the policymakers in Washington, D.C. believe that it's the right thing to do. And it's and they know it's not the right thing to do for the United States of America and, uh, and us. No, the I, that's it right there. And, and listen, you know, we, we bring a lot of guests on the show who are able to commentate on things like what's going on on the border and national security. I just want to remind our listenership, you know, the colonel here was a survivor of the 9-11 attacks. He was at the Pentagon the day that, you know, the plane hit the building. And, and here's the thing. It was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, security failure in the history of the United States. And we are literally, and, and it's seemingly, according to the Biden administration, facilitating the next major terrorist attack hopefully not as big hopefully not as bad but you, you have to think just for the amount of people on the terrorist watch list that they've been able to catch over the course of the last nearly three years in addition to what 1.5 plus million getaways who knows who's running around this country right now and even worse off who knows what their overall and eventual intentions are oh you're absolutely right uh, you know it's uh, uh and thanks for pointing that out it was the biggest national security failure the United States has experienced since Pearl Harbor. Yep. Uh, uh, and it was worse than Pearl Harbor because it was a strategic attack. 9-11 was on the contiguous United States and worse than that on our capital and on our military headquarters. Uh, you know, and as a major at the time, uh, uh, working inside the most secure areas of the building every day, uh, the uh, uh, the shock of of these non government entities trying to swing an operation like this and us not being able to find out about it uh, caused a lot of uh, consternation and, and determination to find out who the enemy was and go out and uh, and kill them for America, which we did. 
but once we did that, we should have come home and not gone on into this 25 years of forever war policy because it's distracting us from what's really important today. And that is this southern border is a complete security nightmare. It's it's a thousand times worse than what happened with 9-11. Yeah. thousand Easy. It certainly is. And I'm so glad that, you know, large advocates of that, like yourself, uh, you know, are out there sounding the alarms because at some point we're going to have to address this and take it head on. Colonel, I do want to stay in the thread of military failures and and huge issues regarding national security because Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was up on Capitol Hill yesterday uh, looking to get his pockets lined again. Now, uh, regardless of what your take is on, on the war in Ukraine, who's winning, who's losing, what's going on, whether or not it's necessary, there is now a large delegation of U.S. representatives and senators who have signed on to kind of say, you know, enough is enough. We need to know where this money is going. We need to know what it's being used for. In addition to that, over the last 24 hours, you saw that Poland said they will no longer be uh, funding Ukraine and the war there as much as they had to, you know, this point. When you kind of see the wheels turning there and, and, and the developments that are being made or lack thereof in the region, what's your take on, on the current situation over there? Uh, the Russians are winning. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, and, and I'm not pro pro or anti anything. I mean, the Ukrainians have a right to defend their nation. Uh, they are a nation, technically speaking. Uh, you know, uh, I was surprised that Putin went ahead and invaded uh, but, you know, the United States set it up and NATO set it up uh, and, and drew, you know, put the red line out there that he'd been telling us for years, uh, years, even even as as late as just before he invaded that, uh, you know, I mean, even the head of NATO, uh, just a video of him admitting that Putin said, hey, take NATO membership off the table and I won't invade uh, just prior to the invasion. And we didn't. Uh, uh, because there's some, uh, and, and you know who the biggest loser is? It's not Ukraine. It's the United States of America and our yeah. credibility and our tax dollars for our citizens. I mean, look, man, we've, we've got veterans out here that they can't get the best pharmaceutical drugs available. They have to settle for the second or third best uh, uh, because we don't have the money. We say we don't have the money to give them the best. Come on, you know, you uh, this is particularly one policy that uh, it just it puzzles me that uh, the United States is continues to say as long as it takes. There's no strategic objective from the U.S. and NATO perspective, not one that's definable. Uh, there's no desired end state. Uh, when asked the question, Kirby says, and I won't even call him Admiral uh, in a serious <laughs> way. Kirby says. The president said, as long as it takes, you've got to be kidding me. You know, uh, this is incredibly uh, poor policy, not just that, but it's put us on the brink of World War III from a nuclear war perspective between China, Russia, and the United States. And that is unacceptable, unacceptable. Uh, that uh, All the more reason why Joe Biden and his uh, administration need to be crushed in the coming election in such a way that the Democrat party will never be able to field a candidate that's not in the mainstream again. Uh, you know, and I know they presented him that way, but obviously he's a damn communist Marxist. Uh, and that's the way he's uh, governing the country. And now he's fulfilling his bribes uh, and taking care of Ukraine. You know, as you can see, it irritates me to no end because, you know, I've worked too, too hard in this country 
uh, and for this country to uh, see it go down the drain like it is. And that's what's happening. Literally, we are circling the drain uh, as we continue to hear people like Lindsey Graham say, give them more money, <laughs> give them more money. Let's fight to the last dead Ukrainian and weaken Russia's armed forces. That's the opposite of what's happening over there. They're building their military industrial capacity back up. They've got enough uh, armaments coming in from Iran, North Korea, and China and other places, even places probably like India. They're getting enough materials to be able to uh, construct enough weapons to keep themselves supplied. They've got enough men uh, to continue this uh, indefinitely, and the Ukrainians are running out of it. Uh, And the United States, shame on the United States of America and NATO uh, for continuing this process and not being statesmen and coming to a suitable solution, which is which is entirely doable, as we can see by the what two or three times the U.S. has told Zelensky, "No, you're not going to agree to that. We're going to keep fighting." Oh, absolutely! And, well, it's crazy. It's crazy policy. It is, and I'm going to stay in the thread of bribes here because you know when you talk about Joe Biden's foreign policy, it's definitely uh, one of the top policy points. Uh, so you know, last week we saw. Joe Biden, he made the deal with, uh, it kind of went under the table because of the 9-11 Memorial holiday, but made the deal with Iran where they were going to exchange prisoners. In addition, Joe Biden unfroze $6 billion in Iranian currency that they went on to say they're going to use for whatever they want, which we all know is for continuing nuclear technology and funding terrorism. The there there, though, was the response that came about a week later. That was earlier this week when, you know, the Saudi crown prince said, well, if Iran's going to use this money and other influence that they have to continue their nuclear technology and ambitions for getting a weapon, then it only makes sense that we get one too. So not only is Joe Biden, you know, basically enabled the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world with $6 billion new dollars to use on whatever they want, now they're goading the Saudis into saying, when the crown prince says that, that means they're already developing nuclear technology within the country, and now they're just starting to familiarize everybody with it, and it just seems like there is no good end to any of this as anything that has to do with Joe Biden's foreign policy. <laughs> Joe Biden doesn't really have a foreign policy. Yeah. Uh, some some Marxists that are running his administration, unfortunately, yep. are, uh, I think their their objective overall strategically is to weaken the United States as much as possible and strengthen its enemies. Unfortunately, this enemy, this uh, enemy Iran run by the mullahs over there. Look, I was a young enlisted airman when uh, the hostage situation occurred. And, you know, when all that was going on, uh, we had so little money from the president of the United States and Department of Defense that we had to use the back of aeronautical charts, which are white, not colored, and cut them in eight and a half uh, inches by 11 sheets of paper for typing paper. Uh, the guy was investigating us for taking home those black skill craft made by the lighthouse for the blind uh, company uh, pins home instead of leaving them on our desk. That's how bad things were in the United States military while this uh, hostage situation was happening with this feckless commander in chief, Jimmy Carter. Uh, you know, uh, uh, these people running that country that took it over, uh, they are the most despicable devilish, terrorist, America-hating individuals you will ever find walking the face of the earth. And to give them access to that $6 billion, the reason why we were holding it was because of their actions when I was a young enlisted airman Mm -hmm. during that hostage crisis. That's the reason right there. There is no way 
that we should have ever done that, especially considering the current situation with the war uh, that we're continuing to instigate and walk to the brink of a nuclear war because the Iranians are going to be there already on the side of the Russians and the Chinese. Uh, and uh, they, they won't think about it for a microsecond of using nuclear weapons, which would easily contr- uh, trigger uh, a, a re- at minimum a region-wide exchange between Israel and Iran. And if the Saudis get them and they're right to say, hey, we need to have these to keep these crazy people in Iran from firing on us. uh, They're right to think that way. But we're so wrong to enable the Iranians with this money or any any support whatsoever. And, you know, there's been backdoor support going to them uh, since the Obama administration when they came up with this crazy Iran deal. Uh, that said they wouldn't get nuclear weapons and it would take them off the table. Everybody in national security that with an objective brain knew that was BS from the moment we saw it. Uh, and you could really tell when they refused to have the Senate try to ratify it as a as a treaty because it wasn't going to pass. So they had the House and the Senate pass a resolution to make it look right. Well, it's not right because the Constitution says the Senate has to ratify yep. a treaty. So we have no treaty with that. And it wasn't going to ever work in the first place because they're absolutely mad men running that country over there. Uh, I mean, they execute women for going out without the hijab on. Come on, people. Why do you want to enable that stuff? All that's going to do is, is, uh, enable a nuclear attack on the state of Israel. And that's going to draw everybody in. Yeah. So the Saudis, the Saudis, you can't blame them. The crown prince for wanting to protect his country. No, and we all know, first of all, the Saudis only look out for themselves, and the crown yep. prince usually gets whatever he wants. So he it's, it's just wild times we're living in. Last thing I want to touch with you on, Colonel, just a little commentary on this. It kind of went under the radar as well. The Biden administration really likes to sneak stuff into the news cycle and just see how everybody reacts to it till they kind of say, oh, yeah, this has been here forever. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas announced this week there's going to be a new office within the Department of Homeland Security. It's going to be focused on malmiss and disinformation into the upcoming 2024 presidential election. Three of the names that are kind of sticking out to everybody, Clapper, Brennan, and Colby, were three of the former 51 intelligence officials who signed off on the Hunter Biden laptop and all were at the center of the Russiagate scandal. When you see this kind of... uh, the team that they're stacking right now heading into the next election cycle. Does it worry you a little bit that these guys are going to be using their big time influence now that they're all in the private sector in the uh, big tech world and to pressure, you know, them to repress conservative voices, especially those uh, that support president Trump moving forward. You mean like they did in 2020 and 2022? I mean, those names should never have a security clearance again. Uh, But you you know what's really concerning about this is this is the rogue federal government, not just the Biden administration, but the rogue federal government, uh, which is uh, really pushed by the intelligence agencies, uh, is given the big middle finger to the American people who put the GOP in charge of Congress to cut their funding off so they wouldn't be able to do things like this. And of course, the feckless GOP leadership that made themselves into the speaker, et cetera, uh, are not doing their job. Uh, And this country is in a definite crisis when the American people no longer trust the federal government and agencies like the FBI, and they're actually telling their Congress People like Victoria Sparks from uh, Indiana said to Garland the other day in her uh, in her comments to him, my constituents are calling me and telling me they're afraid to speak 
and think freely because you're going to show up in the middle of the night with a 30-man SWAT team and uh, try to arrest them and somebody's going to get hurt. That's, that is amazing because that is happening on every street corner, in every house. Even if you're a Democrat, people don't trust the federal government anymore. And this is just the latest example of it. And the GOP Congress, led by Speaker McCarthy or whoever's leading it, needs to cut the funding for this right away. The biggest mistake we ever made, and Rand Paul was right about it, yep. is passing the Patriot Act and keeping it going and creating the Department of Homeland Security. I've never thought that DHS was a good idea, and this is the reason why. It's been turned on the American people, and we have got to do something about this and deconstruct this uh, this, uh, this this capability that's being used to destroy our freedom. That's the whole purpose of the federal government, is so that I can have freedom to say what I want to say and think how I want to think without fear or favor of some SWAT team coming in in the middle of the night and shoot, trying to shoot me or me shooting them because that's what's going to happen if somebody breaks into my house at night. Absolutely. You know what, Colonel, we've got about a year and a month before we make that change. And I think it really starts to uh, get this country back on track. In the meantime, all we could do is fight in the trenches, which is something that yep. we've all become accustomed to. Listen, this has been awesome sitting down with you today. It really gave a lot of, of for our listenership to digest, which we appreciate when we have guests of your caliber on the show. We're going to live link uh, your podcast and your website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, if you type in at symbol Rob Manus on X or any other social media, you'll find it. My big page on Facebook is at C-O-L Rob Manus. Uh, if you'll share those, if you go to that page, please share and like it and send it to your friends because Facebook's been suppressing me since October 1st, 2020, and it's uh, broken my business completely. Uh, we were on track to have a, have a gangbuster of a digital publishing business up until that time. Uh, and uh, we'd appreciate your help on that regard. And we appreciate you stopping on the show. This is the retired U.S. Air Force combat veteran, one of our great friends, host of the Rob Manis Show. Colonel, have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. You too. If you're Vivek Ramaswamy, you love this result. He's up eight points since July. If you're Nikki Haley, you love this result. She's up seven points since July. If you're Chris Christie, you love this poll because you're up five points. Ron DeSantis, you hate this poll because you're down 13 points since July, and now we have a clown car, essentially, for second place with Ramaswamy, Haley, Christie, and DeSantis, all basically tied for second place with Donald Trump well ahead. But really, as you were pointing out, Poppy, a big story in this poll is Ron DeSantis's fall. Yes. Look at how much this has just been a considerable drop for him since January. We see this, look, in January, he's at 42. April 22, June 23, and now in September, he's at just 10 percent of the vote. He literally has less than a quarter of the share of the Republican primary vote at this point than he did at the beginning of the year when he led Donald Trump. Biden administration is the most pro-death regime we have ever seen. They are making abortion legal, even all the way up to birth in some states. President Trump has been a pro-life champion. He even nominated many of those in the Supreme Court that overturned Roe this last couple years. Do you know that this administration is giving Planned Parenthood well over $600 million of your tax dollars every year? That's $1.5 million a day. Wouldn't you like that for your business or maybe your household? 
Well, Donald Trump is pro-life, and he is not going to do that for Planned Parenthood. A vote for President Trump means Joe Biden's horror show at the southern border ends at noon on Inauguration Day 2025. I don't know if you heard, Noah, but Donald Trump did a little rallying up in Iowa this week. How was it? Fantastic, as usual. Nice. We're going to provide a little coverage here. I don't know if you also heard, he did a little, uh, it's been kind of a throwback to the original campaign. Did a little boob signing. A what? Boob signing. Boobs? The old boob signing? Signature on the uh, boob. No shit. Mm-hmm. He did, though. It's a solid move. Asked the bartender who asked for the autograph permission from her husband before he did it i guess that's the proper way to do it yes (laughs) consent achieved yeah no donald trump did uh, a couple events out in iowa this week rally format well first he went and met with some of the on the ground team over a thousand people who are planning on caucusing for him in january in addition to that he did a formal speaking event with some of the pro-life delegation of the iowa trump apparatus well-placed. You're a nasty person. (laughs) He's going to hone in on this issue to the best of his ability right now because this is what you need to think about. We all talked about on our last show, Kristen Welker trying to get Donald Trump with a got you on like a week's or months or trimester's amount for abortion, signing an abortion ban, comparing it to Ron DeSantis' heartbeat ban, is the proposed 15-week ban, whatever. Donald Trump doesn't need to commit to any of those numbers. I actually wrote... A Substack this week. You can check it out. Just hit the link tree in our bio on any of our social medias or on the podcast page. It'll take you to our Substack, and it's, you know, basically affirms that Donald Trump's been the most pro-life president in the history of our lifetime, period. He campaigned on appointing Supreme Court judges that were going to overturn Roe v. Wade, did so, and, you know, attended the Right to Life March which is something many presidents in the past have not done. They've prepared video messages or just completely ignored it. Donald Trump is an ally of this community, but he knows and and has specifically laid out the fact that if he wins the presidency in 2025, he is the president of the United States. He is not the president of the Republican Party. He is not the president of the pro-life community. For as much as that burns people like me and Noah, who are staunch advocates of pro-life here, he's going to continue to do the things he does to dismantle the radical abortion mafia. I think a lot of that will come through the defunding of things like Planned Parenthood. $600 million a year of taxpayer dollars going to killing babies. That's not where our government needs to be right now. And then again, with the overturning of Dobbs, we've sent it back to the states. And I've pointed out, as I did last week on the show, when Kristen Welker tried to get Donald Trump, it's been on the ballot in six states. Two are ruby red, two are kind of whatevs, and two are purple. And by an almost 60 to 40% margin, these ballot initiatives to ban abortion has failed. So it's up to the states to put people in office who are going to support these initiatives that help them get passed and put into law. But it does not solely fall on the shoulders of Donald Trump. What do you think, Noah? It's a touchy issue. I mean, it's it's, regardless of how you feel about it, you have to, there has to be like an over under on what you think is appropriate. Now, the 15 week thing. Is that, is that what, that's what was coming up, right? The 15-week thing, and then she said, well, what about in the middle of the 15 weeks and Ron DeSantis' six-week heartbeat man? So, three, like, almost four months, it would be 15 weeks. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like you probably know you're pregnant by that point, right? Sure. So I don't see why there's an argument with that. At the individual state level to decide. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to, you know, the things that are going to come down from like a presidential level or whatever, like that's, that's the thing. It's like, it should be states rights for, for a lot of things. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget just how much of an ally president Trump has been, or if it's not enough for the leaders in the pro-life community, they have to go home and look at the mirror and, and, and ask themselves before president Trump came along, what did the last 50 years look like? Donald Trump touched on the topic of abortion during one of these speaking events. Let's check it out. However, there, of course, remains a vital role for the federal government in protecting unborn life. And it's very important. And I propose for you tonight, just uh, as I did when I said that, we will win the Supreme Court decision on abortion. Remember I said that during my campaign? Everyone said, that's not going to happen. Nobody thought that was going to happen, but I will fight for you like no president has ever fought before. We'll get something done for the country. We're going to be for the country. We will defeat the radical Democrat policy of extreme late-term abortion, and we will bring everybody together to protect our precious unborn babies in a very, very big way. And now you have the power to do it because we terminated Roe v. Wade. Every child born and unborn is a sacred gift from God. But listen, when you talk about just laying it out there like that, it's a simple reminder. A lot of people for over the course of 50 years talked about it. I got it done. Paraphrasing now for President Trump. Mm -hmm. What would lead anybody in the pro-life community to believe that he wouldn't continue to work just as hard, if not harder, in a second Trump term? Well, with less to lose, too. Yeah. I mean, or not less to lose, but nothing to gain. He's It's his last term as a president. He can do whatever he wants without fear of reprisal, basically. And I think he's planning on it. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump would segue then to the topic of borders, something we covered heavily on the show today, both foreign and domestic. Carrying out the largest deportation operation in the history of our country and starting in 2025 is something that Donald Trump has consistently ran on since he announced November of last year that he's running for president again. And I think, you know, him sticking on the topics like the economy, national defense and the borders are going to be huge things that he campaigns on and will help him both in the primary and the general election season. I think it's a single issue mm -hmm. election, really. Unfuck the country. That's all you need to do. It's a good one. I'm going to have to text Kinda Stephen Chong and, and see Chris if that'll La go on a t-shirt or bumper sticker. Chris, unfuck the country. Chris Lasavita, how they feel about that. So unfuck the country, Trump 2024. It's not bad. I, I like, like it. it. Yeah. yeah, I'd put it on my car. Sure. He was talking about how if Joe Biden simply kept his border policies in place, everything would be completely normal. Let's check it out. Joe had simply kept my policies in place. Illegal immigration would right now be at just historic lows. We were at a level that nobody had ever seen. That includes drugs, human traffickers, everything else. Now we have the highest drug, highest amount of drugs ever in history. Again, I think pouring into any country. They're, yep. they're totally unchecked. All we had to do was, and this is all he had to do. Who's advising this guy? All he had to do is go to the beach. He's going to the beach all the time now, right? <laughs> Every time I turn on, they show him at the beach. He can barely lift the chair. The chair lifts like it's about <laughs> a half a pound. Can't lift it. Can't get his feet through the sand. Somebody, no, one of his consultants, 
One of his many consultants says, this is a good look for you. Go to the beach. I think he's probably a Republican, the consultant. <laughs> but all he had to do is go to the beach, do nothing, and leave the border alone. He'd have historic lows right now. We did a great job. Yeah, because they took away everything that was good that Trump had in place out of spite. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. Trump did it, so it's got to go. Do you think some of the people that have been fired recently by Ron DeSantis are now advising Joe Biden? Yes. He's talking about those Republican consultants. Yes. <laughs> oh, speaking of bumper stickers. Okay. I got my T-shirt, my mugshot T-shirt. I still didn't get mine. And some bumper stickers. Nice. I want some. It's pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. Did you get the coffee mug? That Those didn't show up yet. I it's been the... coming in pieces. What about our N-words for Trump shirt right there? Can we hang it up? That's definitely here. Mm -hmm. It's here right now in this place. I made an investment. <laughs> In our country's future. <laughs> it might be worth money someday. We got to frame it then. We're running out of space. Mm. We're going to need a bigger boat. Excuses, excuses. Well, Carrie Lake's running for Senate in Arizona. She'll be announcing soon. We can put it over the Masters 22 sign. Oh, yeah. There you go. If we ever get Byron Donalds on the show, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We got to check into some poll numbers now. You already heard in New Hampshire, Ron DeSantis has dropped to fifth place. They said it was like a clown car between two and five. Oh, I remember the point I was going to make before. Go ahead. The DeSantis numbers dropping. What are all these retards that were like full DeSantis bros saying now that he's literally decimated his own potential for any future in politics? I'm great you asked because over the last 24 hours, there's been a new narrative populating online. You want to know what it is? Oh, what is it? So from Team DeSantis and those who are now... Time to abandon ship from his campaign. <laughs> Six spells. Time for closing. One of the posts I saw recently, this is from uh, one of our favorite huts, Jebba Ellis. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of her. <laughs> she said, if the election came down to Biden versus Trump again, I would definitely vote for RFK Jr. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's a bold move. I do like RFK Jr., though. I to some extent. Yeah. Not the radical climate no. shit or he's the got, gun grabbing. Yeah. He's got some weird shit, but. 2024 National Republican Primary. This He's is more the, of an ally. <laughs> there you go. This is the shift since August 26th. Trump, 59%. It's a plus nine increase for him. Ron DeSantis, no change at 12. <laughs> Ramaswamy dropped 2% to seven. Christie holds at five. Pence down two to five. Haley down four to three. Scott down one to two. And then who cares about the best of the rest? Wait. He's not doing better than Ramaswamy, is he? Ron? Yeah. Just in that poll. Oh, okay. Here's, that doesn't seem reasonable at all. Here's another one that came out yesterday. Donald Trump rises to new RCP polling averages, highs in both the GOP nomination and head-to-head -head race against Joe Biden. For the GOP nomination, Donald Trump is leading by 46.3 points at 58.8%. That's in the GOP nomination. Then head-to-head -head versus Joe Biden. Trump is at 45.1%. That's a plus five from last week. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, looking good. You know, some of these races are just starting to shape out. Uh, here we go. Iowa Republican caucuses. This is the first one. Trump, 45% plus one from a week ago. DeSantis down three at 15%. Haley, 13. Ramaswamy, five. Scott, two. I think Tim Scott's going to be abandoning his uh, campaign at some point in the future. I mean, he made a claim that he had a girlfriend, and everybody knows that she's fake. <laughs> So, I mean, listen, we've already had one Manti Teo. We don't need two. Eesh. Yeah. So what are the the other podcasts that, that really, really like DeSantis saying now? Oh, you're talking about the gals over at Ruthless? 
I was trying not to say the name. You know, I I, I messaged Matt Gates this morning, and, and so he just did Tim Pool. It was great. Oh yeah, yeah. They, I listened. To that they one. did a lot of good stuff until Tim Pool starts getting into all those really crazy hypotheticals. And then you hear Matt just kind of quiet. He's like, mm, I'm pretty sure it's not the way it is. But then the gals over at Ruthless were shitting on Matt Gates because here's the thing: we're talking about this budget right now, right? And they pointed out because they're all former congressional staffers. Some of them worked for Mitch McConnell. They're definitely, you know, the Republican wing of the Mitch McConnell delegation of the podcast community, as I've named them. I always find good ones. And, you know, they were saying Matt Gates is, you know, standing on his soapbox right now talking about individual appropriation bills and, and cutting government spending and this, that, and the other thing. But then they always try to doom like that. So they're like, okay, these 12 appropriation bills are roughly 30% of the total national budget. And all the rest of the national budget, nearly 70% is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and whatever the fuck else it is. So he's like, even though Matt Gates is trying to reduce this spending, it's comparedly 30%, not contrastedly to the 70% that remains. But still, why can't we do things the right way? Mm-hmm. You know, and they're saying he's, being misleading and then they're talking about vacating the speakership and they're just totally against that. Here's the thing. They're literally just coping and seething because Ron DeSantis is flailing. They're just trying to talk about something else. Cause, and that's the thing. If they're not trying to disenfranchise Donald Trump, either in the GOP primary or in the general election, which they have done to an extent, they're trying to go after people that support president Trump. And, uh, you know, they were even making fun of Matt Gates for leaving leaflets on the floor of the Capitol bathrooms which basically outlined the motion to vacate the speakership. <laughs> that's good. That's a solid move, though. It is. You can't make fun of him for that. That's awesome. No, that's like literally if you're running for eighth grade class president and you want to like shit post about the, you leave the leaflets in the bathroom so, on the floor. On the floor, yeah. so so people look down at it, they read it, but they don't. They can't pick it up and throw it away. No, and it's you know it's one of the things that. Listen, we have to fight these battles. Eli Crane put it out there so great this morning. The only way we're going to have any change up on Capitol Hill is by force. And if it takes 19 or 20 people to start it, then that's where we're at. And nothing's going to, you know, change these guys' minds. It was great to see almost, I I think there was 41 House Republicans and Republican senators jump on board yesterday and say, we're done giving aid to Ukraine. 41 is a lot. That's a shit ton. Compared to the amount of money we were willing to give them just six months ago. So, but I mean, but we also still have to be very concerned about Zelensky's ominous message about all these fucking people that are here. Yeah. And like now are we just like ransom wearing ourselves by fucking having these people here and a not having any way to track them, obviously, because we've lost everybody or, or, you know, whatever kind of bullshit lack of tracking that they've gotten. But now that it's leaning towards maybe Ukraine's not going to be able to suckle off the teat of the United States anymore. Would that be the milk that goes with the cookies? Yes. There you go. My milk and cookies. But is he going to start putting like people into action to like thwart the United States? If, if they end up losing all their, their ground, they don't get their pre 2000, whatever the fuck Mm -hmm. year borders back. Hey, we could always get Congresswoman, Sparks to sniff him out. True. She was on fire this week. Donald Trump is calling on Congress at a time where we're looking at a shutdown, if we can't agree on a budget right now, to not give a single dollar to the Joe Biden border policies and resetting illegal aliens. Let's check this one out. Wait until 2025 to begin stopping Biden's nightmare 
as a president and on the border. That's why I'm calling on congressional Republicans to ban Joe Biden from using a single taxpayer dollar to release or resettle illegal aliens into the United States, effective September 30th. And why shouldn't he? Yeah. You know, it's one of the bargaining chips that we have. You want to let all these people come in? Good. Send them to ICE detention where Tom Homan has outlined for us over and over again on the show. There are tens of thousands of open beds that we don't want to use because it will change the status of people from, you know, you have to appear in a court over the next five to seven years or you're in detention indefinitely, which looks horrible and terrible. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, you know, the encompassing narrative of Donald Trump's speaking event in Iowa this week, before he went and handed out free pizza and signed a few boobs. I would fuck up some pizza right now. Me too. Would be, when you just look at it in black and white, Donald Trump fought for America first, and Joe Biden puts everything America last. And in our last audio clip of the week, we're going to hear just that before we jump in with America first House Representative Alex Mooney for the first time. Let's hear President Trump talking about just how great it was and what we should be all fighting for moving forward heading into next year's election cycle. China first, Mexico first, Ukraine first, Canada first, Europe first, Asia first, illegal aliens first, everyone first. (laughs) But he puts America last, he puts our military last, he puts veterans last, he puts everything that's good and proper to be last. That's what it is. It's called America last. That's what his program is. And I don't think he understands this program anyway. (laughs) It's people that surround him that are doing it because he doesn't have a clue. The guy can't put together two sentences. I put America first every single time. You want to talk about bad hires? You want to talk about policies that maybe didn't get followed through all the way? Sure, go ahead. Take your swings. At the end of the day, I want to see anybody challenge the original Trump platform, which started in 2016, and the one that he's proposing, Agenda 47, starting in 2025, and tell me where you could find anything in there that's either Trump first or America last compared to things that only make this country great again. And it may sound cliche to say, but the fact of the matter is that's where we're at. That's where President Trump is at on the campaign trail. And as the polls clearly state, he's garnering strength and speed and agility and just absolutely dominating the Republican primary. It's about time, especially when we're looking for, you know, potentially having a government shutdown last week. Some of these other candidates really need to reflect and decide whether or not this is right for them and and get out and put their full and total support and endorsement behind Donald Trump. He shouldn't have to waste millions and millions of dollars in the GOP primary, and he won't be partaking in things like the fake primary debate next week. But the fact of the matter is, is that Donald Trump is going to continue running the race he's winning right now. And with, you know, everything starting to align, it looks like he has a better than average chance of reclaiming the White House next year. So we'll be continuing to track that as we always do here on the show. And as we're getting ready to wrap this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, we're going to sit down with one more interview. America First Representative Alex Mooney's coming in here hot. He's also a U.S. Senate candidate next year as well in the state of West Virginia. But before we do that, 
Let's hear one more time from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Joining us next on the show today, this Big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the congressman who represents West Virginia's 2nd District. He's joining us for the first time. He's also a 2024 U.S. Senate candidate. Really excited to be talking to Alex Mooney today. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Great to be with you guys. Well, Congressman, you've been pretty busy uh, for the last two weeks after a uh, not-so-busy news cycle throughout the month of August. September's been pretty wild. You want to give our listenership the latest on what's going on with the fight over the budget up on Capitol Hill this week? Yeah, it's man, it's the same story, different day. It's a uh, divided government. We do have a Republican majority, and I think it's important that the new Republican majority in the House of Representatives assert itself against the wild attacks going on in this country in every sector, the abuse of the EPA towards the coal industry and, uh, frankly, the witch hunts against President Trump. And the only way to do that is to control the spending. We can't just give a blank check to Joe Biden, a trillion dollars, and say, do whatever you want with the taxpayer money. Uh, we need to control spending, for one, because we're heading into terrible over, over debt and deficits, but two, to control how it's spent. And the only way to do that is to pass these spending bills one at a time, single subject bills that uh, say what the money's allowed to be used for and what it's not allowed to be used for. And we've had this fight. It's my ninth year in Congress. We've had this fight every year and there's delays and excuses. And then you hit the end of September where the funding runs out. And we've known this for nine months. I mean, you know, we've been in charge since January. This, this isn't a surprise that the end of September is coming up and we have to pass spending bills. We've known this. Um, it's just a lot of, uh, I think, lack of willingness to do the right thing, cut spending and control the power of the purse. I'm intent on doing that. We've got these rogue people going after President Trump and other patriotic Americans abusing the Department of Justice, the FBI, and we have to watch that. No, we certainly do. And, you know, when you see some of the other stuff that's been going down, especially legally, the slow walking with obviously all the investigations into Joe Biden and his family. Uh, we see, you know, a sitting senator today in the state of New Jersey indicted for bribery and corruption. It just leads you to believe that, you know, after probably watching Merrick Garland testify up on Capitol Hill again this week, that there is definitely two tiers of justice at work in this country right now, especially when you talk about items as big as everything going on with President Trump. And, and that narrative is very alive and well. Oh, totally. It is the two-tier system of justice. Every American, regardless of your political stripes, Republican, Democrat, Independent, regardless of who you support for president, regardless, regardless of view of Donald Trump, to see the Democrat Party and Department of Justice be politicized, you know, that is horrifying. That is what they do in third world countries. That's what they do in communist countries. They're trying to declare people guilty till they prove themselves innocent deny them the right of a fair hearing, deny them the right to face their accusers. These things were all done to President Trump in his impeachment trial. And frankly, the liberal the liberal media, too much of the mainstream liberal media, are not reporting the facts or the truth. They're just essentially an arm of the Democrat Party. Uh, it's stunning. Uh, but we need to fight this. And we've been given an opportunity. The Republican majority, as you just mentioned, you know, we have Jim Jordan, who chairs the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, Jerry Nadler is not the chair of that. Uh, thank God Adam Schiff is no longer chairman of the Intelligence Committee and, and all the witch hunts he did to President Trump. We have James Comer in the Oversight Committee. And these guys are fighters. Boy, I'm, I'm a huge fan of both of those guys. They're doing a great job with the impeachment inquiry 
They were doing a great job pushing back, finding whistleblowers. They've had whistleblowers come forth and tell the truth about cover-ups and the witch hunts and the two-tier system that uh, that the uh, current regime under Biden is pushing. So uh, we are fighting back. Hope your listeners know and appreciate that. We are fighting back. We've got a lot more to do, and it's not easy because they, they throw so much at us at the same time. But we're in power, and we're fighting back. Yeah, another thing that was kind of thrown out, you guys, over the course of this week, too, was a, a visit from Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Where do you sit right now, Congressman, on, on the uh, never-ending spending that's going on <laughs> in the country of Ukraine? Well, we, we didn't make sure that it's being spent appropriately and review it every time. Uh, I, I did vote to withhold the last round of spending. But I do think that, um, you know, the European partners need to be more involved. I do commend the Ukrainian people for fighting. Uh, against a communist bully that's attacked them. I think they fought and they fought very bravely, and I think they're doing a good job. Um, but th- this is a dangerous world. There are a lot of countries with foreign policy issues. Ukraine's on the forefront of everybody's mind, but there are, uh, you know, we're involved in a lot of places, and I just think we should look at all that. Well, and the one thing I think we should do, and I voted consistently on this, is I think Congress should vote on these, uh, on any, any country where we send troops. Congress sure. should vote on that. By too much, it's done by quote, emergency powers. And every six months, the president just declares another emergency and keeps troops wherever, whatever country he's in. So we need to vote on it in Congress. That much I believe in. No, I believe it as well. We definitely have to have a process. And, you know, Joe Biden sending a a check over for whatever amount he deems reasonable at the time. And it's been a lot uh, when you talk about mm-hmm. all the, the weaponry and, and, you know, ammunition that's gone over there as well. We have to kind of figure out, like you said, where it's going and what it's being spent on and how frequently we're doing it with the urgence of our European partners. I mean, I saw yesterday Poland announced that they'll no longer be giving uh, as much aid as they were to Ukraine. So it kind of raises some red flags on what's going on right now, but it's something that we're definitely going to be tracking on. Congressman, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's definitely uh, heading into the next chapter of your political career. You've announced that you're running for Senate in West Virginia. Very excited to hear that and to hear you, someone who's been America first, a strong ally of President Trump throughout the course of his first term. Obviously, I'm sure you're hoping for a second one next year, but you want to tell our listenership a little bit about what went into that decision and uh, what you plan on doing for the great state of West Virginia. Sure. Uh, they've, you know, the voters have given me five elections here, won five primaries and five general elections. Uh, I represent half the state of West Virginia now. Um, I, I never lost a Republican primary. Uh, most, a lot, Many outside observers, the establishment and the liberal wing of the party thought I was going to lose last cycle because I was put in the same district with another incumbent Republican, and it was mostly his district. So the original polls had him ahead by double digits, and I won by 19 percentage points at the end of the day. So I think you see that happening again now. My opponent, Jim Justice, who's our sitting governor, was elected as a Democrat, did not even vote for Donald Trump, did not vote for Donald Trump. He hedged his bets against Hillary Clinton, didn't vote for Trump in 2016, was elected as a Democrat, but Trump won. So he switched the Republican Party, not out of any principle, just out of pragmatism, because our state here in West Virginia is so conservative and Republican now. He switched just for political purposes, but he's a liberal Democrat. He raised taxes, pushed some gun control measures, COVID lockdowns. Uh, spends like crazy, attacked me because I opposed the Biden spending bills two years ago. President Trump endorsed me and Jim Justice is attacking me because I won't support Biden's out of control spending and the Green New Deal stuff. So this guy's a liberal and I'm just make sure. Thank you. I hope your listeners, if you know anybody in West Virginia, let them know. Alex Mooney's the only conservative running. I've proven that in my nine years in Congress. Uh, and West Virginia deserves a conservative U.S. senator. 
This country sure needs a conservative U.S. senator. I'm probably been endorsed by three U.S. senators so far. Um, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, and Rand Paul. Okay, And my opponent is being pushed by the establishment. Uh, Mitch McConnell recruited him to run. And they just don't want to give the seat to a real conservative. They want a liberal Republican in there who, who will spend us into bankruptcy. So um, I'm, I'm 100% focused on the May 14th Republican primary. So please spread that word if you're listening. We certainly will, Congressman. We're going to live link your congressional website and your campaign website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out as well? Sure. It's just my last name, Mooney, M-O-O-N-E-Y, Mooney4F-O-R-W-V, as in West Virginia, Mooney4WV.com. All the information's there, running an active campaign. Great sitting down with you today. We'll be looking forward to having you back on the show. This is the Congressman who's representing West Virginia, too. He's also running in 2024 to be... That state's next senator. Representative Alex Moody, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you, guys. God bless. What an excellent end to a very busy week. What do you think, Noah? Excellente. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 275 other editions of the show, you better be downloading the Steak for Breakfast podcast across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. In addition to that... Please, social media accounts, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find Steak for Breakfast, follow us, and hit the notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and spending some time with us for you today. Congressman Bob Good and Alex Mooney, retired Air Force Colonel Rob Manis, and former Trump OMB, Mr. Russ Vogt. They definitely helped make Steak great again. Guys, I got a little bit of news. Don't get too scared. We won't be back on Tuesday. We're going to have a Wednesday edition of the show next week, but I promise it will be an absolute heater of a lineup. We're going to have America's favorite election integrity attorney, Miss Christina Bob, the official spokeswoman for MAGA War Room, Inc., Caroline Levitt, Congressman Josh Breachin will be joining us for the first time, and so will Congressman Andy Biggs. So on behalf of the entire pod team, I'm Roan. Noah, later. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic weekend. Take care. I'll take half his shit and they'll get it.